Hello, welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Demet. Today's guest on the podcast is Ian Yurden. Ian is a Smith Rock local who not only climbs hard, but who has also had an incredibly successful career outside of climbing. Ian began his career back in the 90s, working in product creation and brand development for Adidas, and has since worked with many of the top outdoor brands, including 510, Solomon, Chaco, Evolve, and many others. He's also an amazing guy. We talked about his move to Central Oregon in the early 2000s, about starting the Terrebonne Depot restaurant with his wife, Kristen, which is now a very popular gathering place for climbers and Smith Rock visitors, and about restoring the 100-year-old train depot and moving the building 36 feet. We talked about some of Ian's hardest climbs, about his history with To Bolt or Not To Be, and some other routes he's deemed the unfinishables. We talked about using a temperature gun to measure rock temperature to better understand climbing conditions, how he avoids numbing out on cold days, and some recent health issues and why he is so grateful for health and why health should never be taken for granted. This one was great. Ian's sense of humor just nails my funny bone and he's a great storyteller and he has some great insights too. So I think you'll like it. Please enjoy this conversation with Ian Gurdon. So Ian, we're uh, we're rolling. Thank you so much for meeting me in the van. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here in your white panel van on the edge of a park with a lot of people walking by. I know. I, think, I tried to I tried to give you a little privacy. I parked next to the yeah. tree so that you weren't right next to the sidewalk. No, it's great. It's fine. It's so, great. It's quiet. Yeah, we, we had talked about doing it at your place. And uh, thoughtfully, you, you texted me this morning and said they're doing construction. There's all these backup beeping noises constantly. They're actually working on the college and oh, okay. that pumice mine. Yeah. And they have these big loaders in there. And whenever one is in reverse, which is pretty much from seven in the morning to five, it emits this incredibly loud beeping noise. Oof. And I started to kind of go out of my brain and I started Googling it and checking it out. And sure enough, I found the webcam from the college and I'm like, oh God, it is that loader. I could actually see it in reverse and then I could hear it. And then they had a number to call at the bottom of the page. Uh So I called the number and this guy, Barry, picked it up. It says Barry. So I'm talking to Barry and Barry actually came up to my house to listen. I said, Barry, man, like, I know you guys have to do this. I know it's an OSHA requirement to have this beeping, but like, you know, I'm going out of my mind here. What what do you got? So um, he's like, well, let me come up and check it out. Barry actually drove up from the college. He listened to beeping and he was like, yeah, that's really loud. So Barry's been on the phone with like John Deere and the tractor maker and they're trying to get a beeper in there because it's going to be beeping until April. Are they going to get a quieter beeper? They're trying to get, Barry is trying to get a quieter beeper on the backup of this thing. Because I mean, we're going to go, we're going to have to leave. It's so, yeah, it's so fucking annoying. Yeah. Wow, what a what a guy. Great guy. He called me back. He followed <laughs> up. He's like, here are the different beepers. I'm going to get the one that's 82 decibels instead of 116. And I mean, Barry's fired up on it. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, normally, you know, I can be... I can be kind of like a little aggressive on people like that, but I really sense that he was looking out for me. And I was like, thanks, Barry. Go, Barry. Go, Barry. 
Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So the, the construction thing reminded me of something I was, when I was preparing for this, I came across something really interesting. So you and your wife, Kristen opened the Terrebonne Depot, which is what is now a really popular climbers and visitors restaurant right outside of Smith Rock. You guys opened that in 2004. 2006, um, actually. 2006. Okay. Did yeah. you start working on it in 2004? Yeah, we, we okay. did. We started working on it prior to that, but there was people digging and oh, okay. hammer swinging in 2004. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So, and feel free to fact check me on this, but I'm reading this article and you guys are restoring this 100-year-old train depot. And right. it didn't really have much of a foundation. Mm-hmm. And you actually moved the building 36 feet to the west further from the train tracks to be able to set it on a, a real yeah. concrete yeah. foundation. True. All true. That's all true. That, that is fascinating. Yeah. How did you do that? Well, I mean, it was a long road to even get to that point, honestly. Yeah. Just kind of like a lot of things in this world, you you know, you start calling around and you find the right people to do these jobs. And there's a right-of-way that the railroad company has around the railroad track there. And we didn't want to do this renovation so close in the railroad right-of-way. Mm. Railroad can maintain some rights within their space, and it's BNSF. And also, you know, you don't want to be necessarily drinking a beer and have the train you know, 16 inches off of your face as it's coming by. Trains actually go pretty fast through there. Yeah. So yeah, we when we started doing our due diligence on how we were going to restore this building, we learned pretty soon in the process that one, the foundation needed to be replaced, and two, we wanted to get the building out of the right away. So these dudes showed up in these really, you know, sort of like these makeshift tools and with chainsaws and sledgehammers and they worked underneath the building for probably a day and i mean i really was watching because we had no idea how it was going to go yeah i mean we're you know they're like cutting it's standing on pier blocks we're kind of watching had you invested money into it at this point um well i mean sure we bought the land yeah bought the land we spent quite a bit of money just to get it to where it was ready to be done yeah i mean yeah so definitely we we were in at this point that must have been uh, nail biting uh, it was okay. I mean, these guys were supposedly pros, but it was just one of those things where, you know, they're cutting these blocks with chainsaws underneath the building while smoking cigarettes and stuff. <laughs> and then I didn't really understand exactly how it was going to work until the very end. And then they put the thing on these sort of rails. They build a frame, they put it on rails, and then they slid the thing over wow. 36 feet, and then they drove away. Huh. The funny thing is, is it was like... I don't remember exactly how much it was, but I want to say it was like $7,200. Oh, wow. Which seemed really cheap to me considering... To um, move a building. Yeah, to move a building, you know, it's like eight bucks for a coffee and a bagel. (laughs) So I don't know. I just thought that was like... It was actually, of all the things we did out there... It sounded really complicated, but it was one of the simpler executions because the guys were just total pros. Okay. That's amazing. You know, and it it makes sense because I've always thought that the Terrebonne Depot was oddly far from the railroad tracks. Right. Yeah, it would be... That's that's a good point, actually. Yeah, it'd be weird. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys had the idea for that in back in 1999. Yeah. How did that idea come about? Well, I, you know, I think a couple things were, were going on. It was definitely late nineties. I had been working at Adidas for the better part from about 94 until 99. Yeah. I'd love um, to dig into that later. Yeah. Um, and my wife and I, well, we were not married at the time. We were actually okay. just dating, but we were living in Portland. She was in her medical residency. I was working at Adidas full time. And we were spending weekends at Smith Rock and we were driving back and forth like everyone does. And I'm a believer that good products are really the solution. 
they're the solutions to problems. And, you know, here we are driving to Smith Rock every weekend. It's this beautiful place. You know, it was busy in the 90s. It wasn't anywhere near as busy as it is now. But there, sure. were, there were lots of people at Smith Rock, even in the 90s. A lot of climbers, way less tourists. But there were plenty of busy days at Smith Rock, even yeah. in the 90s. And um, Did you have a sense of where it was headed? Could you see? I, yeah, I mean, I think we did. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've been wrong about lots of stuff. You know, I'm wrong. I'm wrong every day. But on, on this particular notion, you know, we we believe that Smith Rock was going to continue to grow and be an incredibly popular place for both uh, hikers, tourists, climbers, and Central Oregon was going to continue to grow. Mm. So I started calling the owner of the building. I was still working at Adidas in probably 98 or 99. Really nice gentleman who lives in Terrebonne and owns, still owns quite a bit of Terrebonne and we're still, we're still kind of friends. We keep in touch every oh, now cool. and then. Yeah. Um, and I started calling him and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, you want to sell this building? What do you want to do? And, you know, he said, well, you're welcome to, to look at it, you know, if you want, but I don't, I'm not really selling it. It's got a bunch of my stuff in it. So one day he gave me the key um, I stopped by and picked up the key at the mini mart there. And, you know, this woman handed me the key and Chris and I unlocked this like big, there was this big sliding, creaky sliding door on the very front of it, which would be kind of where like it would be on the north side of the building. Mm. And, um, you know, you got to understand there's no parking lot. This is a dirt, just a dirt mound. And we opened it up and this building is just, you know, a 2000 square foot building that is just filled with just junk, basically. Oh, there are holes oh, in the roofs, there are pigeons flying around, and uh, and we're like, we love it. <laughs> you know, and I, I think it's, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, if I had to do it now, I would be like, you know, there's a million reasons why that is not going to work. And I think it's just, again, part of sometimes, you know, the less you know, the better you are. Um, and, you know, like I always try to tell younger people now, hey, if you have a good idea, you know, you have an idea now, you're young, like, go do it. Mm. Go do it. Try to make it work. Find a way to make it work. You know, you're young. You can always find a way to do something else if it doesn't work. You know, and we were both we were both interested in doing something a little bit different. I think it was three years later where the person actually agreed to sell us the building. I called him around once a month for probably three years. Wow. Good for, for you. Three years. And finally he, you know, he was just, his response was something along the lines, like, you're going to keep calling me if I don't sell this. Right. And I was like, yeah, pretty much like I'm going to be calling you. So we ended up buying the building. I think we purchased the building. I think it was either 2003 or 2004, somewhere close around. It took us a couple years to kind of do due diligence, to get it ready to construct, and then I was never really saw myself as the operator of a restaurant, but Kristen really embraced that idea. She was, you know, I mean, I think you're going to talk to her at some point as well. Kristen was I, actually practicing. I would love to. As a podiatrist in Portland and was looking to do something different. And, you know, we just thought that, I mean, we thought a couple things. One, there isn't really a great place to go hang out here from Smith Rock. We thought that the visitors, the hikers, the runners, the mountain bikers, and the rock climbers deserved a better place than mm. what was local around there. And we knew that it was a problem because when we came out on weekends to climb, we were driving all the way into Bend for food. Mm. And, uh, you know, I just thought, that, well, this is a really cool old building. It can be redone. I am a little bit of a, a believer in trying to take things that are old and fixing them versus replacing them. I mean, you oh, know, if cool. we were... We were smart now, or not smart now, but, you know, 
I think most people would have just been like, all right, we have this land, we can build anything here, let's tear this thing down and start over again. But we're really committed to trying to keep the structure. It is a essentially a historic building. Yeah. It is a historic building. It's the original railroad depot from 19, 1911 or thereabouts. So, you know, that's the general it, story of how we got to that point. And um, it yeah. works really well for the restaurant, too. I mean, it seems kind of perfect. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a big yellow building and big on, on the road to Smith Rock. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, I know that you've expressed this at one point. You guys kind of had in mind that you wanted to cultivate like a community gathering center, like a place where people, climbers and, and other people could get together and really have a sense of community. When I moved here in 2013, I really felt that. I actually spent a lot of time going to the depot early on. I'm curious how much of that was a passion project, just trying to create something like that versus did you have it in your mind that this might free you up from your career and give you more flexibility later on as something you could sell or you yeah, yeah, how are you thinking the, about that? That's a good question. Um, there's a long answer to that. Um, yes, yes, no, yes. But, I, I <laughs> you know, in essence, um, I think at that point in our lives, you know, we were early 30s. You know, one, I think we both wanted to do something that contributed in some way. Hmm. And we felt like this was a market that we knew. It was a location that we knew. And we felt very confident that it had a strong chance of succeeding so mm. we wanted to create something that you know was a central location for really the visitors of smith rock and climbers to be able to to be we wanted to restore something that we felt like had you know some value historically in the community which we thought this building did so it kind of met that guideline i mean you know one point Chris and I were talking, we're like, yeah, you know, do we want to do this in Bend or somewhere else? And the answer was no. We felt a strong connection to Smith Rock in that area. We felt a connection, you know, to this community, to this user group, to these different users. And we felt like it was a thing to do. That's cool to hear that, you know, I remember seeing you in there. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that's always what we wanted that place to be. You know, we wanted it to be a place that was good. We thought that, again, people using smith deserved a place that was that was good and was was built essentially for them um did it end up being i think your question was would it free up time you know from the career I, you know I, I think like what we thought it would be and what it was were two different things okay. i think we both thought like wow you know we're gonna have this small business we're gonna be rock climbing at the park and then we're going to be, you know, running this thing. Or Kristen really was the person that had interest in running the business. I never had that much interest in running the business. I mm. have another kind of small consulting business that I that I work on. Again, still related to footwear and apparel and, and mm -hmm. product there. Um, but this was really her passion. She has passion for food, passion for cooking. And, and the restaurant portion was really hers. But, I mean, I think a better example would be, so when we redid the interior, Kristen had this idea like, yeah, I'm going to be down at the park, I'm going to be rock climbing, and then I'm going to, like, come up to the restaurant, I'm going to take a shower at the restaurant, and then I'm going to go to work. So when we did all this work inside the building, which was essentially almost like just building a place from scratch with the exception of the walls, there's a shower, there's an office, and mm. within that office, there's a shower, 
in there that was built for this purpose of like, hey, we're going to hang out at the park and we're going to come up there. And by the way, that shower is ADA accessible and all these different things that the, the county made us do. Uh-huh. And that shower has never, ever seen a drop of water. <laughs> it's a giant. It's and again, we don't own the restaurant. Um, there's some great operators and, and owners in the restaurant right now. We sold the restaurant and, and, and that's a whole other story. But um, there has never been a drop of water in in that shower. That shower is file a cabinet it's dry goods storage it's um you know it holds aprons uh you know i don't know what's happening in that shower but it's never ever seen a drop of water or a shower it's turns not out cleaning dirty rock climbers no it's not cleaning you know the idea of Kristen, you know rock climbing down to the park and then like blasting up and working that didn't really happen i mean for her she ended up working a tremendous amount yeah. to make that place to make that place successful and it was you know it was she never complained about it um i'm not complaining about it for it was just a lot of work and it was kind of all hands on deck to you know running restaurants is a lot of work and she did the majority of it um wasn't she put in like 60 hour weeks at least yeah yeah. i mean i ate a lot of food Uh, (laughs) i mean i ate a lot of food i gave away a lot of food i probably said some dumb stuff to customers i mean i i really i probably was you know like a negative margin contributor on the balance sheet between, you know, eating food and then, you know, just like, hey, have a beer, you know, just stuff like that. But, uh-huh. you know, she worked incredibly hard and, and you know, it's marketing. It, yeah. And, part, and, and I also did some marketing work for her and I kind of helped with that side. And then, you know, I, I helped a little bit here and there with, um, you know, just de- various tasks that needed to be yeah. done. But she was like the powerhouse of of, you know, she was the chef, she was the operator, she ran the people, she ran the staff. Wow. Um, you know, I kind of did a little bit of the marketing. I helped a little bit with um, just every now and then when things needed to be done, I would, you know, help fix things here and there. And then if people had complaints, I dealt with people. I tried to isolate complaints or issues away mm. from Kristen. And, okay. Um, I tried to take care of those and keep those away from Kristen. Got you. She didn't she also climb Chemical Ali during that process though? Somewhere? Um yeah, so Kristen did actually. So Chemical um, Ali is a five fourteen at fourteen A at Smith Rock. Yeah, she did. She climbed Chemical Ali, and I'm pretty sure she did that while she still owned the restaurant. I'm about ninety percent sure. I can't so, remember if she had just sold it or if she did it, but I I know she definitely climbed Vicious Fish. Yeah, actually, probably on one of the. You know, in the first few years, she was really just working. She wasn't really oh, okay. rock climbing that much. And then, you know, as she got that business kind of under control, she was able to spend a little bit more time in the park. But she would, you know, we would rally out to the park pretty early in the morning. Mm. She would do like one or two warm ups. And then I would belay her on Vicious Fish or something like that. Yeah. And then she would run up to the restaurant by like 1130. And okay. she did Red Point Vicious Fish in those, on, nice. one of, on one of those days. And I'm pretty sure she did Chemical Ali at the same time. Yeah. Um, which is, you know. Were you guys living in the area at this point? We were living in Bend, yeah. Okay. We were living in, we've lived in Bend the whole time. And were you climbing more than that? I was, yeah. yeah. I was able to climb more than that. You know, I, I think that... Throughout that period of time, really 2006, 2010, 11, in there, that that was that was a period where I was rock climbing a fair bit outside. I was working a fair bit, but my schedule allowed me to get out there a bunch. And you know, in some ways, I think that was probably my favorite time at Smith. Just oh, cool. Just um, uh, you know, the crew was a little bit different then. I mean, there's a great crew now. And there are always great people out there. Um, but I don't know. There's just something about it. You know, I think just some really good friends and you know some of them are still around they just don't climb as much Mm. some of them you know have moved away they're just things i i can't explain exactly what it was but um it was just a time where you know it felt like 
most of the people that were there were really just a great crew of people. And, um, you know, I was also probably like getting routes finished. So that probably is, <laughs> was more fun. You know, it's yeah. always more, you know, it's always more fun. Yeah. That always colors the memories yeah, in, in a yeah, nice sure. way I mean, you know, when you're actually You go fishing, it. it's always more fun if you catch a fish, so to speak, <laughs> then, you know. What kind of stuff were you climbing at that time? Any um, highlights from that period that you remember? Uh, what, what years exactly? Like, 2006, uh, 7, 8, is, isn't that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, I think... You know, 2006 onward, I mean, I, you know, I was just trying to really do all of those classic routes between, mm. um, trying to think what I a actually did during that time. Um, it was probably your first time being like a true local and not just making all these weekend trips, right? Well, we moved in 2002 when okay. we moved to Bend in 2002. So I'm just trying to put it all together. Cause I'm realizing that's a really long time we've been here. And, yeah. um, and I think I also just realized that, you know, I haven't really done that many routes for the amount of time I've been here. <laughs> when I, when I think about it like that, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, trying to fill it in a little bit, but I, I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to, um, it's yeah, not going to sound impressive. I don't think it's going to sound very good. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's fine. It really, it isn't very good in the reality. It's just, you know. Well, you climbed, it, what have you climbed? You've climbed White Wedding. I have. Do you I've, do Vicious Fish as well? I, yeah, I've climbed the majority of the routes of Smith to, I guess, 13D. Okay. Um, with, you know, a few a few holdouts here and there. Yeah. So White Wedding was one of them in there. Um, that one's got an interesting history. It mm -hmm. was put up as a 14A. Mm -hmm. And then over time... I think a, like a nugget got pulled out of the, like a welded stone got pulled out, which created a finger pocket, Yeah, made a sequence easier. It dropped to 13D. It was in that state for what, 15, 20 years. Yeah. And then the finger pocket, one of the local guys decided to fill the finger pocket back in. Who was, wasn't me, by the way. I didn't right. fill that pocket in. <laughs> Restoring the route to kind of its original state and it's back yeah. to 14A now. So you did it in that, when it was 13D. I did it. Time. Yeah. And even, and your, your history is I think pretty, pretty accurate. Um, I, I think that the idea there was like when that hold was originally a hold, it was kind of a bad, small, hard to use, one finger, crimpy, awkward mono. Mm. And at that grade, I think people still kind of thought, you know, this is pretty hard here. Nobody clipped the bolt in the crux. Right. There's a dogging bolt right there. It's kind there. of a dogging bolt there. You're, you know, it's a, it's actually a pretty big fall above that, yeah. above that bolt. You've probably done that route, I'm guessing. Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. I've, I never tried it when it was 13D. I've tried it since. And, and I know what you're talking about. Like you, you kind of do a committing drive-by move above that and take a pretty good winger. It's a pretty big, it's a pretty big fall and nobody used to clip that bolt. And I, I would say, you know, now I'm really kind of dating myself, which I guess it's just inevitable when you start talking about dates. But, uh, you know, between like 2000 and 2000 and maybe eight, that was really just a mono. Mm. Um, you know, it was really just a mono. It was a bad hold. I think, you know, people seem to think it was 13D. Nobody talked about it being easier than that. Sure. And then all of a sudden that pocket just seemed to like change to where it became a two finger pocket and all of a sudden everyone was able to clip that bolt. Hmm. And I think that was the big kind of light bulb that, you know, wait a second, this has gotten easier. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I, I think everyone would have clipped the bolt had they been able to sure. clip the bolt. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to clip, clip it because I'm 
feeling incredibly strong right now and the red point crux that I just don't want to clip a bolt and I want to take a 30 foot fall. You know, I, I don't think anyone was thinking that. Um, I think that that hold got bigger. Like yeah. It just became a two finger pocket. It changed the sequence and it therefore somebody thought, well, it needs to be kind of restored. And so I did it when the mono was a, a really kind of tweaky, small mono. And, you know, and I think people thought it was 13D. Some people thought it was even 14A at the time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't really know, but yeah, so I did, you know, I did most of the routes to, to 13D that I could kind of do within a reasonable amount of time. But then I sort of created this really heinous list of just sort of like what I had deemed in this small dark corner of my brain is like the unfinishables, mm. you know, and I, I don't know, do you have any like unfinishables, you know, where you're just sort of, you just can't really seem to get through and finish them. You know, I, I mean, I, I guess can, that would be the meaning of finishable. I can absolutely like, relate to like that. Like Batman, <laughs> Batman became yeah, unfinishable, <laughs> you know, I was able to like get very, very close on Batman for yeah. forever, you know, not finish it. Um, yeah. You know, and then there were a few others that kind of fit into that category. Yeah, so, I mean, that was the time period there. I I started working on some, some other projects, probably, I think, 2010 or yeah, maybe 2009. I started some other projects as well, you know, that weren't in, in that part of the park, in the gully. Mm. Um, and, you know, and just kind of kept climbing. And also, we were, I was traveling a little bit, um, mm -hmm. you know, with... Kristen having the restaurant kind of open for a few years, we were able to take a couple trips here and there, spend a little bit of time um, in the Red River Gorge, a couple trips to Europe here and there, you know, a couple trips to different locations in Europe. We've, you know, we, we always like doing that. So I think we were, you know, climbing quite a bit. And then, you know, just kind of like it happens, all of a sudden you, you look at it and you go, wow, it's, you know, 2020 now. And like yeah. some of those projects are finished and, and some aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Are there... Are there some that are still in that category? Like, I don't know. Have you have you walked away from those at this point? Or are there some that still feel open that you're still working on? Um, I don't know, actually. That's a good question as well. Um, you know, I had a really rough health year last year. I okay. don't know. Um, you know, I mean, I, I didn't really get to climb much That's last right. year. I'd forgotten about I had that. A, um, I had a couple things that, that were um, sort of problematic. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I mean, for starters... I, you know, I maintained a pretty injury-free physicality until probably five or six years ago. And then I ended up herniating a disc in my lower back, which was kind of a bummer. Mm. And then I kind of, seems like maybe I herniated another disc in my lower back. Oh, man. Um, maybe a year later, which made that kind of rough. And then I ended up having some neck problems most recently last year. I herniated a disc in my neck, which kind of messed up, impacted the nerve that controls my left hand. Oh, more, wow. More specifically, kind of ring finger, pinky finger. So 2019 was kind of a rough, was kind of a rough ride. Yeah. Um, you know, I ended up, I ended up dealing with pretty significant injury. And then to top it all off, somehow, so with my neck injury, I ended up seeing doctors more and they recommended because my mom died of colon cancer, they recommended like, ah, oh, you're 48, you should kind of get a scan, you should get a colonoscopy. Um, and uh, can we talk about colonoscopies? We should talk about colonoscopies, actually. Absolutely. And uh, you know, Alan mentioned them too. Great. So yeah, all right. So maybe this is really <laughs> just becoming a, a this podcast. Is just, this is just a colonoscopy podcast. So we end up, well, I end up 
you know, seeing doctors more and, and this one doctor was really adamant and he said, you know, if you have family history with colon cancer, you, you really need to get a scan. And when they mean, when I say a scan, I mean, you know, a, uh, a colonoscopy. And, uh, I did. And it turns out that, um, they pulled a big chunk of cancer out of my colon. No um, kidding. Yeah. So, Whoa. um, you know, and actually maybe big is, is the wrong word. Um, I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, you know, I, I kept saying when I had this neck injury, like, ah, you know, it's not that bad. I should be okay. You know, it's not like I have cancer. Um, <laughs> turns out you did. <laughs> turns out, you know, you're like, oh, wow, this is cancer. So, so that, that was not, that was not ideal. Um, I mean, the good news, you know, the good news is, is with most colon cancer, they usually find it, they remove it, and um, and then they set you up on, a, you know, a increased regimen for colonoscopies. And, uh, you know, so I had to be scoped multiple times last year. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, oh, good. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. And, and that seems like it's hopefully, you know, behind me. I do have to, you know, get scoped a lot more frequently than than everybody else which is not awesome um but uh but it's not really that bad if you're thinking you need to go get a colonoscopy you should definitely go get a colonoscopy because apparently you know it, it's not uncommon they're actually considering changing screening ages as they're finding younger hmm. people are, are having more issues so uh you know it, it's wow. it's a real thing and you know it's definitely from everything i've learned about it you can uh you know colonoscopies, you know, they, they save lives. So if you need to get a colonoscopy, go, go get a colonoscopy. Wow. That's fascinating. So how are you, where are you at now as far as the neck, the back? Are you feeling healthy? Um, yeah, I'm doing a lot better. Uh, you know, again, I was in a lot of pain last year and I don't know if, you know, you've been, have you ever been really injured and had chronic pain? It's awful. Like for people mm. that, for that deal with it. I mean, I um, had my first real finger injury a couple of years ago and I, I turned into a little baby. I yeah. was shocked. Like I, I thought I would be able, I thought I was reasonably grounded mm -hmm. and would be able to handle it pretty well. But I no, that like totally flipped my life. Yeah. Well, down. try going to a doctor's. I can hardly imagine. Yeah, that must've it, been terrible. It's, it's not, it's not great. Yeah. You know? And also it was just hard because, you know, healthcare is imperfect. Perfect, yeah. and you know the human body sort of does does what it wants, and you got to roll through it and and figure it out. And you know I'm talking about it like I understand it or I had a good handle on it. And the reality is I didn't. It really sucked. Hmm. And uh, you know and I think we're all pretty into climbing and being outside and doing the things we want to do. And when you can't do that, you just you know you don't really feel like the same person. And that's hmm. um, that was not a great experience. But the good thing is 2019, you know, much better year, way less pain. Hopefully I'm, I'm not in that situation again in terms of pain for 2019 and, uh, excuse me, 2020. Yeah, I think I got dates all weird here. Just, we'll have to, you'll have to fix that. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, yes, I'm doing a lot better. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily as fit as I want to be, um, yeah. but you know, I'm, I'm climbing. I've been getting outside, you know even trying a little projecting here and there. Nice, cool. Um, so that's great. You know, my yeah. hand's a little weird. I still, you know, I can't really feel half of my left hand huh. from this nerve issue on my neck. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the reality is, is uh, I think in some situations, not feeling, you know, a finger or two at Smith Rock is actually, <laughs> it's actually a strength. There's there's multiple, multiple holds, you know, like you don't want to feel those holds, yeah. Stephen, wouldn't you? I mean... That's a good strategy. Yeah. Not quite aid, but yeah, that, yeah. that might be uh, yeah. serving you really well. Yeah. So I actually just did an interview with Mark DeJohn. He's an ART guy, actually right up here in Northwest Crossing in Bend. You might find it really interesting. I'll share that with you. Because he, he helped me out with carpal tunnel. I'd been suffering oh. from carpal tunnel for 
six years. And same thing, like certain days at Smith, I was mostly experiencing symptoms at night, but on cold days, I had a hard time warming up and my, my hands would feel numb or tingly for the first couple of routes. And it was it can be really frustrating. Did he get you through that? Did he, yeah, he did totally it, did. And yeah. you didn't and require surgery or anything? No, I never got the surgery. I, I was able That's to great. kind of maintain ever since I, I did a nerve conduction study. And, you know, they're like, oh, you have severe That's kind tunnel. of a painful study where they stick a bunch yeah. of needles <laughs> just in your arm you and, they, and, and then they shock you. And they're yeah. like, oh, yeah, this isn't a big deal. And you're like, well, it's kind it of a big not deal. Great. It's not awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. how about I do it to you? Totally. So yeah. I wore splints at night for six years, and mm-hmm. that right away helped a lot. Interesting. And, I, and never things never got worse, but they never really went away. But yeah, he really helped, and he does a lot of work on you know pinched nerves and, hmm. and things like that with people in the Interesting. neck. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I should, I should talk to him. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. You know, when you if you're unfortunate enough to get injured, you know, you just kind of talk to everybody. Yeah. You can, and hopefully, you just you have to get a plan in place. And you know, our healthcare is it's certainly imperfect. You have to be your own advocate right. for care and you kind of have to find the solution that works for you and then you have to essentially pit people's opinions against other opinions and mm. until the the truth kind of grinds itself out right um and, and that can be time consuming and frustrating along the way so that's cool if you found somebody that that got you through that um, yeah yeah it's, well, it's great yeah were you doing any work for yourself on your back or neck have you been doing physical therapy yeah i have or... a pt i have a pt okay. program that actually was helpful i mean you know it's it's uh Anything you'd recommend for someone who might be going through like a disc issue or neck issue? You know, I I, uh, I I wish I had some some great advice. The answer is generally I don't know. Um, you know, I think that that for me these disc issues have happened. They take a while to clear up. I haven't had surgery on any of, the, any of them. There are situations where they really they want to do surgery. They're doing a lot less surgery than they used to do. They mm. found that for most disc issues on surgery, the outcome at two years is the same whether you've had surgery or not. Oh, wow. So they're, they're trying to be less invasive, and then there are there can be negative results from these surgeries as well of just, you know, people always say, like, yeah, I can just tell it's a little bit weird there. Yeah. Um, that being the case, I think, you know, maybe I should have had surgery just because my hand is still kind of messed up as mm. well. Like, I, I just don't know. It, it's, it's really hard to get to a good answer. Do you think it's improving? Is it changing at all? Um, I, I think that it's not getting worse. It mm. has improved. I don't know if it... I, I think it's 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 not worse. It could be getting a little bit better. Mm. I mean, it's definitely stronger than it was a year ago. I mean, I lost less strength out of my left hand, which, you know, again, when you're... You know, for anyone with an injury, it's really unfortunate, but, you know, you're a rock climber and you're kind of like struggling to pick things up and the doctor yeah. and the doctor you ask the doctor and you're like well what's going on and they're like well it might get better it might not and you know you're kind of like kind of looking at him like yeah like i kind of need to use yeah like, this is incredibly I gotta, like, important for me I, this is kind of important for me it's and, hard like, to share that or express that fully to medical people too they don't really understand yeah. active people and rock climbers a lot of the time like they, they don't know what we're trying to do yeah it's a good point you know, also to your point, for them, I think a lot of people, the goals are really different. Right. You know, the exactly. goals are just kind of like, well, get me out of pain. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't think that, um, you know, again, my, you know, my contribution to, to climbing is, you know, it's sort of infinitely irrelevant, but it matters to me. You know, I, I like to rock climb. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, there aren't that many things I want to do besides probably, you know, climb some rocks 
hang out with my wife and our aging dog and eat some good food. There isn't yeah. that much else that, you know, we're, those are, those are really important things to us. So yeah, no, I agree with you. You have to find a doctor that gets what you want to do. Mm. Um, and hopefully you can get on a path to figuring out. And I just think it's hard with some of these nerve things. Cause there's just a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty. They sure. can't really tell you, you know, they can't really even tell you if we do this surgery, is it going to necessarily fix it? Right. So there's just uncertainty and uncertainty is, um, it's hard to work through, you know, it's, you don't, you don't really know, but yeah, I mean, it's feeling better more or less. Yeah. I mean, I I think my hand's definitely weaker, but am I still going to be able to like climb on it and hopefully, you know, do a few harder routes here and there? I I think the answer is solid. Maybe (laughs) solid, maybe, but, um, you know, I think I have a chance. Gotcha. It's better than no better than you know no yeah that's good to hear that surgery is being recommended less and less actually I've, I've got a friend a good friend of mine back in high school he had a back injury and had surgery and was just laid out and got depressed he got addicted to pain meds and it right. changed his life yeah 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 you know. and I, I mean he's really never had the same personality since and it's been kind of a horrible thing so yeah i i did notice that because when i first when my neck first blew up and I actually ended up in the ER because I was just in so much pain and I needed to get some like high level drug, you know, like Dilaudid or one of those really, really serious drugs. The amount, you know, they generally, they prescribe incredibly heavy. Hmm. And, you know, and I even asked my doctor, I was like, well, how long can I take that stuff for? And he was like, oh, you'll be fine three, four weeks. Hmm. And I just thought like, wow, I don't, want to take Dilaudid for three or four yeah, weeks. Yeah, like I mean, your that, spidey senses kind of take Yeah, I just, you know, I took it for two or three days. And, you know, I, th- I think that for most people, I probably don't have that genetic element where I get addicted to those drugs. They didn't, they didn't really do much for me. I didn't mm. feel like, oh, I got to get more of these or I want to be on all these. And if anything, I was really concerned just by the idea that you could tell somebody to be on them for that long yeah. without there being some kind of problem. You know, I mean, I think my guess is if you went in a bunch of rock climbers, medicine cabinets, there'd be a whole bunch of prescriptions that have like one pill out of them. Only, yeah. I don't think our peer group is. Do you take a lot of, uh, I mean, no, I'm the same way. I, I try to, yeah. I try to think about like root cause and all the lifestyle things mm-hmm. that might be leading to an issue and address those whenever I can. Yeah. And I don't know if I'm like, if I've got a terrible cold and I just can't sleep, maybe I'll take some, right. you know, Sudafed or something, right. but no, I, I try to do things yeah. pretty naturally yeah. whenever yeah, I can. Yeah. And, that, and you know, not being the case, like I am a big believer in science. I have, yeah, I'm absolutely. sick, you know, like, yeah. I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do, but there's something about just the narcotic side or yeah. these opioids on the pain side where I just, and, and also I just tend to read a lot and uh, I'm intimidated to anything that has such an addictive red flag just mm-hmm. causes me caution. You know, I just don't want to get near that stuff. No. Totally. Yeah. So I moved to, to Ben and started climbing at Smith in 2013 and I've, we don't know each other well, but I've seen you a lot out there over the years. Really? I think we know each other well. Really? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, great. I'll take that. All right. Yeah. I would love to, yeah. I would love to think no, that. No, I mean, you know. But this is, I mean, probably I, I the longest conversation we've ever had, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but. I consider uh, you a friend and I, you know, I always, we've always absolutely. had a good rapport. So I, you absolutely. know, I, but I, I'm not hurt. I'm just joking. No, totally. You, joking. you made me feel so welcome when I first moved here. But it was really interesting to me, d- despite that, despite, you know, as long as I've been here in Bend, it wasn't until I was preparing for this and talking to you and kind of, you know, getting things scheduled where you mentioned this whole other life that you have. I found that really fascinating. So you've been in fo- you've been involved in footwear since 1995 and you ran a product line for Adidas that was like a hundred million dollar business. I had no idea. <laughs> I found that really, really fascinating. So um, tell me about that. Yeah. So I did, I worked for 
I worked for Adidas for really almost right out of college. I was hired there, I believe, in 1994, and the company... What did you study? I studied political science. Okay. So really had nothing to do okay. with anything I studied. I mean, the thing that sucks when you go to college and you graduate in 1992 is, I mean, you know, we learned all this stuff theoretically. That's assuming that we learned it. And then there is no internet right. all through college. And then two God, years, and then two years later... Al Gore invents the internet and <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, the entire economy and the entire world is completely different and you've mm. just been trained for something that actually doesn't really even exist anymore. Oh, it was wow, a fascinating, yeah. fascinating experience. But yeah, I ended up working for Adidas and Were you just into recreation and drawn to that company? I, I was. I was living in Portland. I went to college in Portland. Okay. Uh, I was still spending a lot of time at Smith, even in college. And yeah, I ended up getting a job at Adidas sort of on the development side. And it was just one of those situations where I ended up applying for this job and, and I got it. And there were some great people there. And the company had, I think I was maybe like the 50th or 60th person in the U.S. So oh, wow. that was hired. And um, Do you know what they're at it, now? Oh, I think it's like like thousands, yeah. you know, in the, in the U S yeah. and, uh, you know, it was a really interesting time in the industry. Adidas was really, you know, business was shifting and a lot of the product creation had moved to the U S from Germany. Okay. And, uh, and essentially I ended up in several different capacities there at Adidas. I ended up doing product development on the footwear side for a little bit. And then I ended up, and this up, isn't climbing shoes. You were, um, no, I was working on not on climbing product at that time. Yeah. This was on, you know, I was working on the development side. I was working on a whole different bunch of different categories, but originally I was working on the outdoor side of, of the business. Adidas had okay. a business in the nineties that was essentially trail running product and, you know, hiking and approach and some lifestyle product in there. And then I moved, I moved from the development side into the product marketing side and I ended up being essentially the category manager for international product creation for, for this business that, you know, at the time working at the company, you know, I mean, this was a company that was trying to succeed in basketball. Um, you know, this was a soccer powerhouse. This had a massive mm. running business. Um, no one in the company at the time was really, you know, super interested in this portion of the business. I mean, the company was interested in exploring it a little bit. And the CEO at the time, Peter Moore, you know, a real storied past at, at Nike. He was a gentleman that created the Jordan logo and oh, you know, wow. really interesting really the, the one of the large forces him and Rob Strausser behind essentially Nike and then these two people went to lead at Adidas hmm. um, they actually Peter Moore was actually very interested in this business as he's just a you know real visionary on sport and brand and business and kind of believed in the category so I ended up running product creation for for outdoor and at the time the business for Adidas was one of the smaller businesses, you know, when you start looking at running or basketball. But mm. for if I look at it now, I mean, when I mean smaller, it was it was still like a hundred million dollar business. To yeah. Give you perspective, <laughs> you know, to give perspective on that. Um, this is Adidas Outdoors. Your this was Adidas subset. Outdoor and yeah. some trail running product and some lifestyle product, and it was obviously sold globally, so not just within the U.S. Okay. You know, there's a team of designers, development people, marketing people, um, and then, you know, there's obviously a really strong sales organization that is, exists globally. Yeah. So I, I had a, a great experience there. I, I learned a lot and got to work with some really talented people that, at the time, it was just a very fortunate opportunity. I've worked in-house for a few other brands full-time. 
time on some footwear and apparel initiatives. And then I started consulting really full-time in 2000. When we moved to Bend late yeah, 2002. And then I kind of did one more full-time gig and then really full-on from 2004 forward. And since then, I've just been trying to keep clients. I'm curious about the transition into consulting. Was that something that just kind of evolved naturally or did your career path kind of push you into that naturally or, or did you really set out to create a more flexible lifestyle? For yeah, I, I think for that, I mean, it was, it was dictated by a couple things. One, my wife, Chris and I, we wanted to live in Bend mm-hmm. and there was no way that, you know, any of the big companies were going to really let me work in Bend and Got stay it. full time. And then the second thing was, and we really just sort of dovetailed into this idea of us living in Central Oregon, having a little bit more time to climb and do the things we wanted to do. And then also, you know, Kristen having this other business, which was the Terrebonne Depot mm-hmm. um, in the proximity of Smith Rock. So, I mean, those were, those were the, the factors, the what's, factors. What that, stage were you at with the Terrebonne Depot when you transitioned to consulting? Well, I mean, when we moved to Bend in 2002, we had the idea to do this business okay. and, and open and Kristen to run this restaurant. Yeah. Um, but it was really in the in the working, you know, it was really sort of in the due diligence phase and figuring it all out and can we do it and how are we going to do it. So I was consulting then when we first moved here. And then I took a full-time job at Solomon for a little while back in Portland mm. and then moved back here in 2004 started consulting full-time at that point while we were really working on getting that business up and running and then i and then i had consulting work all through the time where that business was was up and running from really 2000 well from before 2004 through you know to now more or less okay yeah how was that transition for you going from working full-time for these different companies to working for yourself yeah i mean it's there's really no such thing as working for yourself um, to, to some degree. I mean, okay. you're, you are working for yourself, but I, you know, I would say that, I mean, in short, when you work for big companies, you have to do a pretty good job, but you really have to do something extraordinarily stupid to lose that job. Mm. Um, you know, you have to not show up. You have to do very poor quality work. And most importantly, to be launched from big company, you probably have to be disliked. I mean, you know, a lot of things have to come together. You can't even be two of those bad things. You need to really like roll it. You got to really kind of be a fuck up (laughs) to lose it, I think, from those big, from big brands. And, you know, maybe it's shifted, but, um, you know, I, I, I think it's not ridiculously hard to do your job, show up and stay, stay going. And, and I think when you start doing consulting work, it's tricky because I think the burden goes the opposite direction mm. in that you have to do something, do something extraordinary to kind of get rehired. That's the price you pay for the flexibility and to not be there all the time. Okay. Because, you know, you have to, you have to really execute on the deliverable. You've got to drive some initiative to where it's really helping them. You know, people that are contract work or consulting work, they're the easiest people to get rid of. They're absolutely, it's so, it's just the default to do contract work or consulting work is to just not rehire them. The default to do full-time work is for them to just stay there in place, you know? So, so I mean, does that, does that make sense? So, 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, but I can't imagine that was ever very hard for you though. I, I can't see you as the person that was at one of those big companies just kind of milking it. No, I, I, or coasting. I, no, no, I, I, um, it I loved have, working for big companies. Yeah, I had, must a, have been lo- natural I had a lot for of fun. To... I had a lot of fun. I mean, I think it's like, you know, my experience at Adidas was probably more like a college experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were great people. I, I, you know, I had, I had a ton of fun and, and also, you know, I recognize now that, you know, that was a huge opportunity that gave me a lot of opportunity within that business. Mm. And that was lucky. Yeah. And I, I'm fortunate to have gotten that. You know, I, I was able to build relationships with people that were pretty well respected within, within the industry. I was young. These people were older. They all generally left and became very senior people at companies, whether they were like vice president or CEO level positions. And with that, for me came almost all the projects that I've gotten. They're really just based on the people that are in place, you know, like they're, they're essentially. So you've kept up that network. I've tried to keep the network up. I mean, this is, you know, this is one of the problems with, as you get older is, you know, now a lot of those people, um, you know, they're retired, they're, mm. they're out. And, um, the network that I had then was, was probably, you know, it was probably extraordinary strong for the time for, you know, my age. And I think it's now a lot of those people are gone. And fortunately I want to work less now as well. Yeah. So it's actually, it's actually fine, but it is challenging to continuously keep good clients and, you know, just keep, keep things going. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, my goals have changed in terms of, you know, what I want to get out of projects and, mm. you know, what I'm, what I'm looking to do. And I think earlier on, um, I was just in the position where I was thinking like, yeah, if it's work, I generally want to do it. Um, now, you know, it has to be a brand that I have some respect for. There have to be people in there that I think are solid and that I really trust. And then hopefully there's some sort of sustainability element in it that makes it more interesting to me. And this is a whole, you know, other conversation. But, you know, one thing about working on consumer products is, you know, you're ultimately, I mean, I, I, I like to build things. I like to make things, products or solutions to problems. But... I don't want to build stuff that just ends up in a dumpster. Yeah. And, you know, you start spending a lot of time in Asia and you fly into Shanghai and you look down and you just see, you know, endless, endless container ships, you know, like as far as the eye can see. And you realize, you know, like all that stuff is headed somewhere Mm. and then all that stuff is headed, is headed likely in a landfill at some finite time later. And it gets a little bit depressing. So, you know, I think, you know, one thing that is pretty interesting in this business is, the consumer has a lot more power, has power, and the consumers expect it. You know, consumers expect more sustainability in there. And it's, you know, in my opinion, it's great to see some of these larger brands that are actually taking these initiatives to solve. You know, like Adidas just announced that they're going to try to be essentially plastic-free by 2024. Mm. That's oh, a wow. really, you know, they, you know, people have moved from solvent-based to water-based cements, which, you know, 20 years ago, if you had suggested that, people would have just absolutely laughed at, you know, how some of these things work. So, you know, I, I do think that's improving. I don't think it's improving at a fast enough rate. Mm. Um, but ultimately, you know, the consumer is, is driving this, but brands have realized that, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're giant teams now with these brands that are trying to figure this stuff out. And I find that kind of interesting. Do you have thoughts on what us as consumers can do to do our part as far as shopping from these companies, like things to look Mm. for, to vet them? How do you think about that? Yeah, that's a, that's another interesting question. I mean, my thoughts here are probably like more anecdotal than than necessarily science-based, but, um, 
you know, I just would say general acumen applies. Like if you don't need to overpurchase things, don't, Mm -hmm. you know, think about where things kind of come from and how they get there. And also I think, you know, supporting brands that have strong initiatives. You know, I like, I look at what Patagonia is doing and has done in terms of sustainability and also, you know, what they're actually doing and where their standards are. I mean, I think the reality is, is do the research and you'll see some companies are really, they're putting the product and their money where their mouth is and some some aren't, you know, some are, there is a lot of greenwashing out there. And I would say, do your research and support, you know, put your dollars, vote with your dollars, put mm. your dollars behind brands that are actually, you know, they're actually trying to, to make things better. And I think if you do research, you can find this information, you know, that's out there, whether it's plastics or microplastics or where they're donating their money or where they're taking, you know, what are they doing? What are they doing with their success? Um, that's something, again, you know, I really think is, you know, fantastic about Patagonia is, you know, Patagonia, you know, when they're, when they're doing really well, they're not going out and like buying back more of their shares to mm. essentially push share price. I mean, granted, they're not traded publicly, so they're not doing that. They're generally taking that money and they're investing it in, you know, they have one of the cleanest supply chains out there. Oh, cool. um, they're actually solving, they're actually trying to solve a lot of these problems. Yeah. Did your hand ever get tired holding this mic? Or is it just me? <laughs> Do I talk that much? That, uh, I, just, I switch hands I just sometimes. switch hands. Yeah. All right. You got, yeah. yeah. It's, it's probably so, hard if your left hand's not so I think, sharing the weight. So I think, you know, not over buying stuff, you know, I always, I'm always trying to look for ways to just, you know, hopefully consume less or use things the way you need to. And then supporting brands. I mean, I wonder that too. And within our industry, like what's happening to all these climbing holds out there, Mm. you know, it's all just plastic, you know, this is all just plastic. There has to be like, uh, you know, how many, how many climbing holds are out? Like, you know, can those things be recycled in some form? Can they be, can they be chopped up and... Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Turned I mean, into not... carrots or anything? Like, is there anything <laughs> like, I mean, is there any, you know? Certainly not to be reused in new climbing holds. Right. So that, that's a great question, though. I don't know. It's um, it's a cold cast polyurethane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what you'd be able to do with that. Right. Possibly. But I, I also think it'd probably take a lot of initiative. I don't think it's just happening on its own, right? right. So, so right. gyms and companies would have to really go out of their way to yeah. try to make that happen. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot of holds every year. There's a lot of holds every year. I mean, I, and some, and also, I mean, you know, I just know the trend for holds are those. There's only just, so many home gyms yeah, and there's that just can use them. big giant holds now that I don't yeah. know about you, but I can't even hold on to, you know, <laughs> but like yeah. you so much material in those, but I guess those are hollow too. So maybe there's not as much, there's maybe not as much material in there as, as I, I think. It's certainly an interesting conversation about, you know, which of these brands are really, you know, are doing the work and are, and which are just kind of telling you that they are. And I, mm. I think that there are brands that are doing much better job than, than others out there. Mm. Um, you know, and follow those. Cool. Are there any challenges that you've faced or is there anything that you've learned? Nope, no challenges. Through your uh, consulting through how many, how many years have you been consulting now? Uh, like 15 years? Yeah. You know, there, thereabouts. Anything that you've learned that you wish you'd known at the start? Um, every company is different. You know, I mean, companies are sort of living organisms of of the people and the things they make and sell. And, um, you know, I I would say the one thing is, for example, I see I see a lot of companies bringing in people from other companies that have been successful. And they think that that will be 
their mm. sort of, you know, their silver bullet to take them to, you know, the next place in business. And I, I think that, that it's not quite that simple. You know, mm. all these companies are their own unique story and, and what works for them generally tends to be, it's a little bit more organic than as straightforward as, as that might sound. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have been fortunate where I, you know, I've gotten a sort of climb into several different companies that do similar stuff, some a little bit different and, you know, they are all a little bit different in their own way and how they work and what works for one usually doesn't work for, for another, for mm. the most part, sort of different organisms. They take on their own life. Usually, you know, usually it's the leader, the leader in place. You know, I think about, you know, and I, I've never done any work here for Metolius, but I, I always think Metolius is just such a fascinating company from just the perspective of, you know, who runs it, how it's run, and, you know, how those employees, you see them out at Smith Rock in the middle of the day, and they're doing generally, my understanding there is people do their work on their own time, mm -hmm. and, and, then they, right. and then they can go do what they want, and nobody's really tracking exactly you know what they do and I, I think that seems to work for them you know like it, it seems like no one ever leaves that company no one leaves <laughs> they, that company you know like Metolius has done you know a couple things right they've given a bunch of really interesting fun smart creative people a pretty cool life you mm -hmm. know and I, I think that, that Doug's kind of brilliant at that in his own way you know I, I don't think and again I shouldn't speak for Doug but I, I don't think they've ever had the perspective of like we want to be the biggest company in climbing, I think he actually genuinely really cares about his employees and what mm. they want to do there. And his goals are really different. Yeah. Uh, and again, I've never done any work for Metolius, but you know, if you climb at Smith Rock and you live in Bend, you certainly interact with quite a few Metolius people. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Well, I want to get back to rock climbing and this list of, uh, what did you call them? The impossibles? Unfinishables. The unfinishables. Thank unfinishables. you. The unfinishables. So in prep for this, I was, uh, I was returning to some old videos that I've watched before and I watched, and I'll share this in the show notes. I watched this video of Nina Caprez climbing to bolt or not to be. And you're in the video, you guys are hiking in, you're belaying her, you're giving her beta. And she has this comment like Ian's here, you know, he's, he's helping me with the route. I think he might know to bolt or not to be better than anyone else on the planet. And I, I'm watching there and I know you and I'm like, yeah, it's probably true. So I, I would love to hear about, uh, about your history with to bolt or not to be. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So is that at the top of the unfinishables list? Yeah. That was I the mean, first one that I popped mean, in my mind. And I shouldn't say unfinishable because nothing really is, is unfinishable. Totally. I mean, if you really want to do it, you can do it. And, you wouldn't I mean, be trying. If you it... wouldn't be trying. And, and you know, I, I, I say that as like... I tend to be a little sarcastic, but you know, I'm, I'm oddly more of an optimist than, mm. than one might think. I think you uh, have to be to keep trying that thing as much as you've tried it. I have. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of sieging that happens at Smith that just mm -hmm. the nature of the area, the roots yeah. are really tricky. They take a lot of work and persistence to get them done. Yeah. And there's a lot of stories of kind of these epics, but yours is, yours is one of those that really yeah. stands out. You've really put yeah. some time in on this I, route. I, I have, you know, I, I sort of think like. You know, maybe in a couple thousand years, you know, like who knows what's going on with this planet Earth, but, you know, some civilization, they find like Smith Rock and they start seeing like human DNA on these holds and they start to like ask these questions and then somebody 
is like, wow, there's so much more of this one person's DNA on this particular panel. <laughs> like what happened here? Um, so, I mean, really you're kind of asking that. I mean, I mean, I first saw to bolt probably in when I was in high school and maybe it was 1986. Were you right? in Portland at I, the time? No, I was living in the East coast. I, oh, wow. I grew up outside of New York city yeah. on the East coast. And I, I think it was 1986. I could be wrong, but it was in climbing magazine. Mm. And I was just like, wow, that's an incredible, you know, that's just an incredible panel. It's just one of those, you know, just incredible routes. It's an iconic route. And people um, will probably know this from previous episodes, but to bolt or not to be is 514A at Smith Rock. And it was the first 514 in America, first bolted by Alan Watts and then first sent by J.B. Trebeau. Exactly. And, um, you know, when I started rock climbing, I never, ever thought, you know, I would climb to bolt. This isn't like, yeah, I want to climb that. I just kind of looked at, you know, even 1986 when I saw an image, you know, I was like, that just looks like an incredible place. Yeah. Um, even, you know, for the first 10 years of climbing, I just never, you know, I never thought that I would climb at that grade, mm. you know, or I'd ever have a chance on a route like that. Um, and, you know, I guess probably like maybe it was 2010 probably I started working on to bolt. I just, you know, had done, you know, some of the routes up to close grade. Yeah, um, you'd done it, white wedding and vicious yeah, fish. Yeah, done white wedding. Time. actually had not done vicious fish. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, some other, I mean, lucky pigeon. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty, all the pretty big. 13 plus. All the, all the classic 13 plus things. Um, and, and, you know, I kind of generally like to crimp on holds. I sort of, you know, I just, you're a technician that, too. Oh, thanks. You, yeah, you really pay attention to nuance, and and I think that's the biggest key to that route. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I I appreciate that. It's um, it's kind. So I started working on in 2010, just kind of working on the pieces, just wondering like, eh, you know. And keep in mind, I mean, look, this is a, a 14A route. I mean, the the standard of climbing is so high now. I mean, it's just this is not coming from a place that like. 14a is is you know this crazy high benchmark grade yeah it, but it, it's still really hard okay <laughs> that route is still it, it really is, hard it is hard i mean look, i'm not gonna still... say it's not hard but yeah. i'm just saying that you know i, I you know my motivation for it was just you know this is an incredible line mm. it's an incredible route i've lived at smith rock it's like the thing you know it's kind of a little bit like i'd love to one day be able to do this thing so i started working on it and, and I think probably maybe around 2009, 2010, so somewhere in there. And I, I don't know exactly. And I was, you know, I was doing okay, you know, putting pieces together. I red pointed the, the top pitch, which is called French Connection. 13B. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know, 13B kind of climbs this corner and then it, it basically climbs the upper so have you, you've probably been up there before. I've been up there. I okay. haven't done it, but yeah. Um, so you climb sunshine dihedral and then you split off and you do the crux. Correct. The hardest climbing, which I mean, the whole thing's pretty consistently difficult, but is that like the bolt nine crux? Yeah. There's a boulder problem at the ninth bolt yeah. that you do on French connection. Yeah. On French connection, you do it stepping off of a no hands rest. Right. And then on to bolt, you do it with... After nine bolts with nine bolts of climbing where you know the biggest hold is like i don't know maybe it's like a half pad or something yeah and the uh, rest there at bolt eight not right mm -hmm. before that it's like a one pad edge mm -hmm. with pretty bad feet and yeah. you have to like kind of piano key match this and it's like yeah. the biggest hold on the route yeah yeah that's that you just pretty much got it yeah okay. that's right okay. the, the the edge at bolt nine is as exactly as you just described it <laughs> so you know i started working on this thing i you know 
I mean, honestly, I didn't really believe myself that I could do it. Hmm. You know, I, I think that like that was a little bit of a flaw in the process. You know, I don't know if you, you know, like Woody Allen once said, like, I don't want to be the member of any club that would have me as a member. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I, I don't think I ever thought of it exactly like that. But I just, you know, these routes, sometimes they create a history that's that's greater or a lore that's greater than mm. than really what they are. And well, then that one has a unique impossibility to it as far as the aesthetic of it. Mm-hmm. Like a hard why, why do you think that? I mean, you're an incredible rock climber. You're you know, you kind of have like you're strong, you're smart, you know how to project things well. Like what do you think what do you think makes that thing I mean, you that. you look at other hard like you go to the red, you look at like mm-hmm. Lucifer, you look at, you know, pure imagination. They look hard. Yep. But there's a unique blankness to to bolt or not to be. Mm-hmm. It I mean, I think Paige Classen says this in her video of her doing it. It looks like a giant parking lot tipped vertical mm-hmm. and just blank. Yeah. There's almost nothing on it. And it just looks improbable. It looks right. Im- almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, there aren't a lot of holes up there. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, that makes it really alluring and appealing, but also speaks to, w- to what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just one of those things you have to, you know, you have to really, so I started going up on it and, and working on it and... I did the French connection variation on it and I kind of realized I was like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm actually like kind of doing okay here, you know? And, and it's also a really, it's a really finicky route. There's so many things that are going against you on that route. I mean, one, those holds just destroy your skin. So you can't really climb on it as much as you think you want to, because it's just going to, you're going to split a tip on it. And if it's warm, you're just going to freaking slide off of it. Mm-hmm. If it's too cold, you're just going to get pressure numb and you're not going to be able to hang on. Totally. I mean, the solution to all these things is to be really fucking good, <laughs> right? I mean, really fucking good solves a lot of these problems. Like, yeah. If you're Paige Clausen, you're Jonathan Segrist. I think he climbed uh, it with like tape on all his fingers. Exactly. Like, he's just, <laughs> like a couple of These guys are just so good yeah you know and they're inspiring and and like i need people like that to just see how hard they try you Mm -hmm. know i mean even mike doyle like i mean not even just mike doyle like these are people are really inspiring primarily because of how good they are he crushed it oh yeah i mean people that are really good they you know they they crush these things but you know for everybody else you got to just work really hard and i was just like all right i'm just gonna look at this thing like it's just a big it's just a big problem and i'm gonna like figure out the way to get through all these different sequences you know it's also like it's problematic because it's not the best way to fall when you fall onto bolt you know your foot pops it's not like the falls are dangerous it's not like they're massive but you know, they're all uncertain. That mm. whole thing is like uncertain. There's the trap s- doors all over there's that There's trap thing. doors all over that thing. I mean, you know, I once, when I was working on it, and I think Jonathan was there, and I, I was like, yeah, I was doing okay, and I was leading on it. And I think around the seventh bolt or somewhere in there, there's like a there's like a quarter inch overhang on the route you have to clear. <laughs> you know, you have to like grab onto this undercling. It's like a quarter inch, and your feet are kind of on nothing, and... You, know, you go through this move and then you're on some really, you're on more small holds. And this is kind of boring because I'm just talking about holds and whatever. But no, that's, but anyway, that's, and all of a sudden, great. my feet slip off these small holds. And I have never had this happen before, but my heel clips the draw Whoa. As, as I'm falling. Cause, you know, I, I felt like just. You mean like your 
your shoe clipped into? No, I don't okay. mean clipped. I don't okay. mean clipped. Okay. I mean, sorry, I don't mean clipped. I mean, just like got hung up, on. got hung up on the draw as yeah. I was falling, which turns out will like completely turn you upside down. Oh man. All right. So I like, you know, feel this sort of thud and I'm like, wow, check it out. Everything's really weird. And I'm like looking at, you know, Jonathan Segrist and everyone's completely upside down. I'm like flat on my back. <laughs> Feet are pointed towards the top of the root, like heads pointed to the ground. John told me it was like the worst fall he's ever seen oh anyone. God. He's ever seen anyone take. I don't know if that's still true because it was like ten years ago. Yeah, he and does like, a lot of rock. Climbing. He does a lot of rock climbing, and people do some really stupid shit. So like, <laughs> I, I don't know if that. I don't know if that holds true. Yeah, um, it could be a dated statement. But um, it's just one of those places where when you do fall off, it just like you know, it, it's not the most pleasant thing. Mm. Um, so anyway, yeah, I worked on it for a while. Was there a shift at some point where you realize like, oh, I, I might actually be able to do this? Thing. Yeah. I imagine, I think mm-hmm. for myself, that is always the most exciting part. I, I agree. Process. So for, so I don't know exactly when that shift happened, but, but you're right. You know, that moment where you turn this like thing, like maybe you can't do it into like, you wake up and you go, wow, I can do that thing. Mm. Like I'm going to do this thing. So I kind of went even deeper in at that point. I mean, I, I was pretty obsessed with finishing it you know and this is now like multiple seasons later um and it kind of culminates with (laughs) it culminates with a couple really close goes one in particular where you know you you want me to should i keep going here absolutely so i mean one in particular where um you had a really heartbreaking try yeah i i i'm just trying to think of the, the best way to do this so you know i just had that like the go we're all looking for on Ugh. that one route, yeah. you know, or just like the stars it, align. It just like feels good and you're just in it and you're just thinking about the climbing and all of a sudden, like I'm done with all the hard climbing basically. Like I've clipped the 12th bolt. Oh wow. Bolt. Yeah. I'm 12 feet from the anchor. Oh my God. I'm 12 feet from the, from the anchor. Yeah. And, uh, Scotch Brian, Brian McMillan's playing me down there. And, and I'm just like, I mean, I wasn't overly confident, but I was just like, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. And at that point, I mean, I had gone from that point to the anchor. Like I'd done it in the dark. <laughs> I had done it when it was 25 degrees. I had done it when there's 60 mile an hour winds. Yeah. But I didn't do it today. Oh, and fuck. I basically... I grabbed the good hold above there and a couple days prior and to be clear like i'm not blaming anybody a couple days prior this really nice kid from a te- from italy excuse me dario you know was just like ah, i'm gonna go up there and check it out mm-hmm. and um and he went up there and again i'm not blaming anybody like i own this um but he ticked like 200 footholds mm at the top of the route and all of a sudden I'm just kind of like climbing and I've just sort of lost track of where my feet are. Yeah. And, um, and next thing you know, I'm just like hanging on the end of the rope. Fuck. And at that point, you know, we talked about like my mind shifting to where like I can do it to like my mind shifted to just sort of not being in the best place where I was like, I can do it. I kind of came really close to doing it. Can I repeat it? And, um, you know, can I repeat that effort? And like, the reality is, is, is the answer was no. <laughs> the, the answer, when, when was, the answer that? was no. Um, so I, I think that was, um, 
I don't know, that was maybe like 2012, 2013. Okay. It could have been there. And um, and you're saying the answer is no just because you haven't done it. But yeah, you, you I mean, kept trying it. You well, tried I, it. I did. And, yeah. and this is where, you know, just like, you know, life takes its twists and turns. Like, stuff happens, you know. I had a good friend that got killed in the mountains that kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, made me not pretty psyched to try very hard for a while. Uh, my mom died. I herniated a disc in my back. I herniated another disc in my back. Then I herniated a disc in my neck. Mm. Um, then I herniated another her- disc in my neck. So some things sort of shifted to where, you know, all of a sudden it's just like wasn't the same. Yeah. And then there are other components as well, which is just like to bolts harder now than it mm. even was just like five or six years ago. Broken you know, like People have been, you know, a lot of people are up there slipperier some things are gone it's Hmm. harder now Hmm. um in in my opinion i mean this is all just you know anecdotal it's my opinion when you're right up against your limit you really notice those things too yeah you don't need additional cruxes on top of the additional cruxes (laughs) right yeah Yeah. exactly so um you know i ended up that season or probably the following season i linked through i mean basically everyone that climbs to the 10th bolt onto bolt sends the route hmm. like it's the 13 there's one more reaching move above that there's a hard there's a hard is that like bolt 12 yeah there's a hard pull on a on a small knob it's a very small foothold your hand is as high as it can be for my height hmm. paste your foot and you stand up on it and you go to kind of you know like a good half pad edge hmm. and then you kind of go through to the next bolt but anyway i linked through the 10th bolt on that thing another five times oh wow so i'm pretty sure like i'm the only person (laughs) i'm the only person in the world that has linked to the 10th bolt five times and i'm sure i'm the only person that's linked there without actually sending the route um you know and then the other thing that you know again is just i think a you know twist and turn of how life life is just a wacky place is you know i mentioned this nice italian kid dario Again, not blaming him, not his fault. But, you know, he went up there, he ticked all these footholds, and I, I wasn't pissed at him. You know, it was my deal. Like, I had been up there a million years, I, you know. And, and also, like, when you climb on a project like that much, I mean, it is impactful to other people, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like, I'm sure there are other people that probably wanted to climb on that route, and I, you know, I worked on it a lot. And that was probably, like, maybe other people couldn't get on it because I worked on it so much for multiple seasons. Um, but anyway, Dario ended up getting killed in a base jumping oh, or, a wing, excuse me, a wingsuit accident shortly after so i'm always like yeah i didn't do to bolt but i always like have this perspective like you know i'm not dead like dario either so in the grand scheme of it all like you know it's it's uh it's just know, a rock it's, climb. it's just a rock climb yeah you know, it's just a rock climb um yeah so mm. I mean, that's that's to bolt or not to be so something interesting that's come out of it as a side effect is you know the route probably better than any other human and you know speaking back to this video that you're in with nina caprez and, and giving her beta I've seen you out there with many, many other people. We were joking before this that you've probably got the most send belays under your belt on that route than, probably likely. than, than anybody else. Yeah. But you're in this unique position to be able to to really, I don't know, like you must have this really cool ownership over that route in a way and you're able to really help other people succeed on it. And I, I'm curious, has that been a really cool side effect like are, are you getting much reward out of just being able to pass all that knowledge on to um, people that's and... a great i mean that's a great question i so it's probably not the I same mean, as sending but i mean one most of those people like they don't need me <laughs> sure. to, to be to be clear yeah you know yeah. like none of those people need me really you know i mean 
I wasn't in love with the idea of being in Nina's video. I mean, hmm. I, you know, just because not, not that, you know, it was horrible or anything. I just, you know, she was visiting and, and at that time I was, you know, I was sort of climbing on a little bit before I hurt my neck. The second time I was kind of, kind of made a few efforts up there. I guess this was a couple years ago. You know, she was here and they were filming it and it happened to be the, the day I walked down there with her one day. Um, she did the route. So I kind of ended up in her film and mm. it was like, all eh, right, you know, I don't I don't know if I, I need to be like attached to okay. to it all um in any way. You know, it's not like I don't I don't feel ownership of anything really. Yeah. To some degree. You know, I think it's like these routes are they're here for everyone to enjoy and rock climb on. And, um, you know, I would say like the one experience that was positive in there, like, again, you know, I think I belayed Paige when she climbed it. That was really fun. I mean, Paige is a really close friend. She spent a lot of time at her house. Yeah. It was really fun. I mean, she was, you know, Paige is, was really good then when she climbed it, which was probably around 2013. She's even better now. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, she's such a good rock climber. She she's came so back smart. and did just do it. Yeah. She just mm -hmm. climbed shadow boxing and, yeah. and yeah. rifle. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's right. She's climbed algorithm. Yeah. She climbed, you know, she did vote. I mean, she's an incredible athlete and obviously a really cool person and incredibly smart as well. Um, Real and, quick on that. Sorry to interrupt, but, yeah. but I was there that day. Oh. And when you were talking about your heartbreaking try where you fell at the top, I, I'm curious if this is the same part of the route, but I have this memory of, I remember two things. One, Paige was on the route on point on her red point try for like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And you have to be 100% on. You have to be like so incredibly focused that whole time. And uh, right at the top, second thing I remember, I think she was shaking out like similar to what you're saying yeah. 12 feet below the finish yeah. kind of in this weird stem the feet yep. are bad mm -hmm. and at one point she's i don't know what hold she's on but a decent hold and she just happened to like have matched it right when she was switching hands to shake and both feet cut i do remember that I and remember she that. held she she held yeah. it and got her feet back on kept it together finished the yeah. route but she i i just remember like my heart almost stopped yeah there are heartbreaks up there yeah. like i'm not the only person to fall up there like there are you know i mean people have fallen up there Derek galloway he fell he fell at the last bolt like people do fall up there even though it's probably 11c right you know it's probably 11c i imagine your nerves are just so yeah. shot i remember yeah. Paige. she lowered to the ground and you know we're all like oh my god Paige, that was amazing mm -hmm. like congratulations so cool and she just her eyes were glazed over. She like couldn't focus on anything. And she just yeah. had this kind of dazed look on her face and she just goes, thanks. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was a little, yeah, no, I think that's right. You're a little, at least for me. I mean, and that was one of the things too, that I think made it really hard to finish it is, you know, there's fear, like I'm scared I'm going to get hurt. No, that's not the deal. Like I'm not scared I'm going to get hurt. There's like fear of doing it. You know, hmm. there's just this fear, you know, and I think some people handle it better than others. And, um, that's fascinating. you know, like I, I think to some degree it's, it's that point and it's hard to think about, but that is a route. I actually, um, Lorna is working on French connection, Lorna, yeah. the other local. And, um, there was a rope up there and I went up there a couple of days ago, 12 feet from the anchor. I grabbed that hold and, and I just, you know, I kind of had this you know, almost like Groundhog Day moment of just, you know, it almost like every time I grab that hold, and I haven't been up there in two years, but every time I grab that hold up there, I just kind of get this flashback to that moment of just, you know, and it, it's just like, but, you know, I mean, look, here's the thing. I, is it a failure? I, I, I can't say, you know, is it a failure? It's not a success, but like, 
I'd love to say, you know, I get to finish every route I try, but maybe it's not the case, mm. you know, I mean, maybe it's just not the case. And, you know, I think some, you learn the most from the ones like that too. Maybe. I mean, you know, it starts to become unfun and, and I'm okay with that too. Like I think some think times you have to, you have to push beyond things for them to be unfun, but sometimes things can become like unhealthy as well, mm. you know? And, and I just think at, at some point you just say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do something else and maybe come back. Has that and, been and a it, line that you've had to yeah, be conscious I think, of? I think, and... I think that's right. You know, I think that it's just like, you know, at some point, you know, it's not as much fun for your belayers. It's not as much fun for your dog sitting there waiting for you to be done. <laughs> I mean, it's not as much fun for people around. And, do you think right? it's made you better at rock climbing all the time on that route? At least at Smith? Um, I think that the answer to that is yes and no. Um, I think that, I mean, Tabolt gives you a PhD in face climbing. Mm. It redefines what small holds are. It redefines what you can stand on. It redefines body position. It redefines like how you have to keep climbing when you think you're going to slide off. You know, there definitely are a lot of lessons that get learned there. And then I think it's also... You know, there are negatives, too, from just being, spending too long on a project. You mm. know, it's like, what else could you, could you have been, have right. been doing? You right. know, I mean, what, great trade-off. could you been, you know, hanging out with your friends and family or could you been climbing, you know, not, oh, my not brain just was climbing. Just, how many other routes could you how have many, done? But, but you're right, sure. it, you know, beyond I mean, that, too. Both, both as well. Um, both as well. This thing's on, right? And um, <laughs> so, so, so um, I think both. The answer, the answer is both. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I tried as hard as I could for a long time, and I wasn't able to finish it. And um, and now it's harder yeah. up there. And you know, and like my left hand doesn't like really work all the way. So am I going to go back up there and just like, you know, yeah, now I'm going to do it. I, I don't know if I'm going to sign up for that hmm. right now. I don't know if that's you know in my future. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I I, I don't know. Um, I totally understand, but I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, I hope so. I hope well, that's I, kind. I hope I come back through two, three years from now. Your hands 100. percent You're back on the route. You're reaching high points. It's again possible, man. I, I mean, you know, you don't know. It's it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, Kristen. But might, I totally get it too. Yeah, and and um, so what before that? What were what were we? Um, we had something we we sidetracked on. Yeah, I, I, think, I totally took us. Yeah, it's um, okay. That's on okay. a tangent that's, with Paige. Yeah, no. You're, that's, so you're speaking to. What were we talking about? I can't remember. I can't remember exactly. You're talking about other great things that had come out of it, I think. And you're uh, talking about Paige visiting and all the time that she spent here yeah. and how that's been great. And Yeah. I'm, try- I'm trying to think what else, where we were on that. All right. Well, I'll let you move on to okay. it. We'll, well, so if if you've learned anything from climbing on that route, from my my perception, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you've you've become a complete master of the rock climbing conditions at Smith Rock. I see you. Well, thank, thank you. So I see thank you, you out there. Ian has, for listeners, Ian has a temperature gun that he will bring to the dihedrals and point at the wall. And I've seen you do this like, oh, no, it's, it's too cold. I'm going to numb well, it Well, that is true. But, um, well, first of all, thank you. I, I'll take that as a compliment. It I really mean, seems hard, though. It seems like it's all over the place out there. And, mm-hmm. and I still haven't figured it out right. at all. So do you feel like you've noticed patterns? Like, are you able to tell when it's going to be really good? And Well, I mean... I mean, this is all related to the dihedrals because I think that's, you know, a specific area that requires specific conditions. It's so microclimate out there. Tabolt requires really good conditions. So, so a couple things there. It's in the sun all morning. Yeah. So, I mean, the the good things about that route for conditions are it goes into the shade. Mm -hmm. I mean, it goes into the shade at 
one o'clock, it cools off. Yeah. So um, it's the same I, exact aspect as darkness at noon. Exactly. Which is named that because yep. it goes into the shade right at noon yeah. or one o'clock based on daylight savings. E- exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I started realizing probably pretty early when I was projecting onto Bolt, it's like, wow, you know, some days I'm doing really well and some days I'm just doing awful. And uh, is it me? Like, what's going on? So I... I started to think about it and realize like, you know, there just has to be like some way to understand more. Hmm. Like there just has to be, this can't just be, you know, like how, how do you go from, you know, almost doing something to just falling all over it, you know? Hmm. And, 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 you know, the thing you have to understand too, and, and you know this cause you climb at Smith a lot is there are a lot of days that feel the same out there. Like you go out there, it's sunny in the morning goes into the shade it's shady it's a similar temperature yeah so i i just started to think about it like well how do i understand more about what's happening and why so i bought this um to your point i bought this infrared thermometer yeah it's just a thermometer basically everyone's like super impressed with it but it's just (laughs) this thing called a thermometer and it does this thing thermometers do which is it tells you the temperature of the rock and it looks like a little handgun you point it at the wall and pull the trigger yeah Yeah. exactly and i and i don't know this is a made in china device for you know 27 dollars at home depot i don't know how accurate it is as well so but probably pretty good you think so i think so i think they're pretty good so i just started to notice when i started using this thing there are consistencies um i didn't ever use it as this like absolute ultimatum of here's when i'm gonna go and here's mm. when you know it was never like that but what i did notice was like these are the ranges when i would usually do pretty well these are the ranges when it would be too cold and i would numb out at the six bolt and mm. not be able to hold on and these are the ranges where it was just slippery and destroyed my skin. So mm. I started trying to use a little bit of science to just understand, like, because as you just mentioned, this route goes into the shade at one o'clock. You know, you show up at the park at one o'clock. You kind of feel like you have a late day going for it. You know, you're on this late start. You warm up. You know, what what do you do? You get on your project because you're like, that's the motivated thing to do is get on it but what i started to learn was like the late i mean you know you don't need a thermometer to realize this but the later you go the more it cools off usually the wind picks up in the evening there are just a lot of days and you know i see it now it's their own it's their own deal but like i just noticed consistencies of when i would do better and Mm. i would just use this thermometer to figure out when those temperatures were were more appropriate and Mm. there were some days where i just sort of say you know it's kind of too warm i'm gonna wait a few hours and just hang out but as you know it's really hard to go to the crag you go to the crag you want to get on your project you're sitting around you're kind of like oh my god i'm wasting my time Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other solution to this is just be really fucking good. Like just be, you know, Doyle, Seagrist, right. Page, and Derek Galloway, you know, Ryan Palo, and you just, you know, you just, you just do it. I all mean, those people I, climb 14 C. All those harder, people are, yeah, or they have stacks of, they have stacks of 514s under their belt. Yeah. And, you know, they, they have that knowledge base to, to do it. So yeah, I started using that device and actually I haven't used that device really since i worked on it like okay. that was something that um if you want to borrow it anytime i'd love if to. you want to borrow it anytime you can i'd be happy to do you have a spreadsheet lend... with all the the metrics i don't but i got kind of interested in it. a good buddy of mine is a you know caltech professor and he studies climate and you yeah. know different things and i always thought it would be interesting to uh you know i mean I, I i know a little bit about conditions i always think you know the gully is really predictable because 
you know. So when, it's in the shade so much. Wind and, picks up at a certain time of day. Yeah, and, and we know it goes in the shade. I mm-hmm. mean, we know the sun sets, and we know the gullies in the shade. Dihedrals are really complicated. Although I actually think the worst conditions in the entire, or not the worst, but the hardest route conditions in the park is the churning buttress, mm. like the vicious fish. You climbed, what, did you climb that recently? I did, yeah. I, maybe two springs ago. Yeah. Um, How did you find that? I, I totally agree I totally agree in general. The the one time that I found really consistent good conditions that I, I think is like the best time of year to be mm-hmm. out there is late days in the spring when the days are long, but it still cools off quite a bit. Like, Did you get shade? You like wait April, for it to go in the shade? Yeah, April, May. And there's still a big enough temperature gradient and the overnight lows are still low enough mm-hmm. that it cools off really fast. Mm-hmm. But the rock's been in the sun, so it's not gonna, you're not going to numb out. Right. And I, I found that to be really, really nice. Really Winter's tough because there's a lot of sun out there. Totally. And and I've noticed too because I've actually been out there on that thing this season. That's kind of what I'm I'm working on right now. Okay. And, um, and the sun also is, you know, it's low on the horizon, so it's like a full line drive right into yes. the, right into the route. And I think you're I think you're right. Like in the spring and summer, oddly, churning even stays in the shade in the morning mm. longer than you think because the sun's higher. It rises further east, and you know, there's 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 more shade there honestly yeah um, but yeah that's that's good to hear because um i you know i need some good conditions on that thing. yeah i think after work sessions in like april may were perfect yeah, for so that. six seven o'clock like right yeah. as the sun setting kind yeah, of thing just get out seven. there time for a couple goes right and yeah right. i think that can be really good interesting yeah and this time of year is tough too because like when it's cold enough that it is reasonable to climb in the mm-hmm. sun you get one cloud and you just numb out. Like all of a sudden it's yeah. 25 degrees Absolutely. And freezing cold. Or and you're, you're trying to recover on that rest up there and the wind is just sucking the warmth yes. out of your hands. And then you're like, hmm, do I really want to, do I really want to like be 20 feet above the bolt on the last boulder problem here <laughs> when I can't feel my fingers? Yeah. Like it's not, it's not ideal. Right. Yeah. I agree with you. Winter, winter is tough. It's finicky. How much do it's, you think, or pay attention to like humidity and wind and that sort of stuff too? Was it mostly just temperature with the Um, no, I, I was interested in all of it. I mean, wind is wind is a big factor, but it seems a little bit harder to happen in the dihedrals for some reason. Right. Like wind, you know, wind in the agro gully. away in there. It's oddly sheltered yeah. in the dihedrals. I mean, you think about it's not that common. There are days when there the windy days. You know, fifty-seven degrees and windy in the shade is amazing in the dihedrals. Mm-hmm. You know, even even a little colder can be good, but. You know, it gets warmer than that. You need a lot more wind than usually produces in there for it to work. I mean, it's a pretty narrow temperature range yeah. for it to be good in there. But I agree with you. You know, there are a few of those days where it got cold overnight, but it's warm. And then it goes into the shade and there isn't much humidity in the air. And, and yeah, I, th- I think that has a lot to do with those routes. Mm-hmm. Or, again, you just, you know, you just get, get really good. So I like your perspective. Or I, it was cool to hear that as knowledgeable as you are or as thoughtful as you are about this you didn't let it dictate whether or not you were going to try that day you know you didn't let it rule your life no no i think that's a good balance i think think. it was just more i think it was just more to understand it a little bit yeah sometimes i knew it would be really good well it's weird and i would just go yeah and then i'd come down i'd be like i'm just curious what was rock town yeah and then i would i'd be like oh that's cool like that was a good go i tried to use it more positively than yep. negatively yeah. you know i tried to go huh that was that was pretty good what what happened there mm-hmm. or say yeah that wasn't good what happened 
you know, what happened there, yeah. you know, I, I, or, huh, I numbed out. How cold is it on the wall? So mm-hmm. I tried to use it more like that than to be, I mean, cause otherwise, you know, there is, t- there is no perfect day out there. I mean, right. the perfect day is when you're, you do your route and, you know, and that's, that's kind of the deal. So. And, and it's interesting to your point about the dihedrals being sheltered. That is one area that pops out in my mind, spending a lot of time at Smith where, there's this weird thing that happens at Smith where there's, there's some days that are like perfect on paper. Mm-hmm. Like the forecast looks perfect. Right. The temperature's perfect. And it just feels like dog shit out there. What and do you I, think's I, driving that? I don't, I, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I think it's a humidity thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Honestly, yeah. there's something about the, the temperature gradient versus yeah. the absolute. Like yeah. if it's, if there's a bigger gradient, it's colder overnight. Yeah. The same temperature during the day will feel different. Right. Something about the rock quality can feel different. And you know, it's an interesting, I mean, along those lines, you know, like Mikey is always saying like he, yeah, Mikey always thinks, and I, and I don't disagree with him. Like sometimes after it rains and then it gets overcast and a little windy, you'd think it would be humid and awful. And sometimes it's really good. Totally. You know, so it, it, it is, you know, I, I also occasionally wonder being in the desert if there is something that happens where it's oddly almost too dry at times and you know um, and Kristen is really and maybe it varies um, a little bit between people like Kristen has her hands get cold pretty easily and I mean her you know her ability to climb when it's warmer is she's always climbing on routes when it's warmer than me I'm you know I'm always hot she's always cold but you know she seems to think like if it's too dry you know like she almost gets this sort of glassy mm. chalky slippery feel to it you know yeah. where you don't have enough you don't actually produce enough moisture to where you know you're adhering to things so right. I you know I, I again I a lot of this is just sort of anecdotal I, I don't know the science of that it, it is but you're all right some days just don't feel good out there mm-hmm yeah. And then there are days that should feel really good and they don't feel good either. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it might be the, uh, the user. <laughs> sometimes it could be user. It's like, no, nope, no, nope, it's just, perfect. It's everyone just, else is sending. I think it's just me. It's just me. I think Oddly that's validating important. though, when you see everyone else slipping off too, like, especially on those days, sometimes I feel crazy. I'm like, it's, it's 55 degrees. It's I'm in the shade. It's breezy. It's perfect. And you're not. Why can't I hold on to anything? Mm-hmm. But then everyone else is slipping off too. And everyone's skin is trashed after like one or two tries. And yeah. it's like, okay, I don't understand yeah. why, but but yeah. at least it's not just all me. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and, and I think, again, looping back to my um, infrared thermometer, that's why I got that thing. Mm-hmm. Because I, I just it started to become maddening to me to why some days felt better than others. And I did start to notice trends. That's so cool. Like I did start to notice trends. Like when I had my best goes, I started to notice trends of what was going on. So that, that was, I I think like, you know, again, it's just science, but um, you know, it, it it started to point to trends. Mm Mm-hmm. So, so on those days where you're taking longer breaks between tries or, mm-hmm. or you're out there and you're waiting for conditions, mm-hmm. how did you warm up for that route? Cause you're, you pull onto the wall mm-hmm. and you're just crimping mm-hmm. for, I mean, how many moves is the route? It's like a hundred and it's, it's a hundred, a, a little over a hundred. Yeah. yeah I think hundred and something. You're crimping 
mm-hmm. the whole entire time. Right. Right off the bat. So yeah, how do you, I, I always have a What's a, a warm-up procedure for that? Yeah, because I, pres- I pressure numb when I'm crimping mm-hmm. on really crimpy roots, you know? Right. And that you're, you've been speaking to that, like the temperature gets really fickle with that. But yeah, how did you warm up for that? Yeah, I mean, I guess everyone's different. And, and I agree with you. I pressure numbed out a lot. Um, you know, I, I'd say that half of the tries that I would make back when I was really kind of close to doing it, you know, I would just numb out probably... I would always numb out going in seventh bolt. Mm. I fell off there a lot. Just small holds. At that point, you just can only, you can only fight that pressure numbness thing off for so long, mm-hmm. you know, and then it just catches up and you just don't have the dexterity to hold on. So one thing I did do that I think is helpful on that particular route is, I mean, the reality is just doing the standard warmups. It just, they're not really going to prepare you enough to hold on to those holds mm-hmm. like the same way i mean if one had infinite skin and one were motivated they would probably do like the bottom of heinous you know 12a and then maybe they would do darkness or something like mm-hmm. that but 13a 13a but the problem there at least for me was i mean one darkness kind of chews your skin up mm-hmm. it's kind of a it's kind of problematic for that so that that wasn't really an option for me. So I would usually do a couple pitches, probably on the bottom of heinous. Maybe I would even do middle age vandals, which is a, you know, eleven plus thing, but more just as a first warm up. And then I would generally on to bolt. And again, I, you know, I mean, my tactics didn't work, so I don't know why you're talking about them. But but <laughs> I, um, you know, I mean, that's what that's the whole. The, oh, I actually just remembered what we slipped away from. I'll get back to it in a second. Perfect. But I would climb to the fourth bolt. I would do yeah. a few warm ups. I'd climb to the fourth bolt and I would jump off basically. Okay. Um, and I do that for a couple of reasons. One, I found like there's just no crimping that prepares you to crimp like the crimping on that route. They're mm. just the holds are small. So you have to actually force that pressure numb situation to happen. Mm. And then you go to the ground. And also, it, I think it's good to take a fall. I think it's really good to just, you know, like reacquaint your nervous system with the idea that, you know, like this is okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think we practice falling enough. I mean, that's a whole other well, it's topic. It's way scarier to jump off than to fall. Too. It's way scarier to jump <laughs> off. I mean, I used to try to do that. You know, I, I mean, I do that all the time on things. The way my brain works is I, I have to know somebody can't tell me like, yeah, bro, you're good. Mm. Like I have to, I have to test it. So, you know, I'm always like, before I'm going to do something, I'll probably get up into the crux or where I think it's going to be hard and I'll probably jump off mm-hmm. um, just to test that I think you know and and there are people that that know a lot more certainly way more than I do that just think yeah we practice climbing all the time we don't really practice falling that much and mm-hmm. you know you got to be used to what's going to happen if it doesn't kind of go your way and you know I like to be able to have in the back of my head like if it's hard like, yeah, you know what? It doesn't matter if you blow the clip. It doesn't matter. Mm. It's safe. You know, mm-hmm. I like to be able to like, you know, if you get that little bit of self-doubt while you're climbing, I like to be able to like, to back that up with empirical, not anecdotal evidence. Like, nope, you've done this. Like, it's fine. You can try as hard as you want. You know, I think that's a helpful, a helpful trick. Yeah. But getting back to the warm up, So yeah, I would do that. I would climb to the fourth bolt or so. Somewhere How long around would you there. wait before you did your try Not that. that. Not that long. Keep your like, climbing shoes on. And or just unlace them, you know, maybe just stay tied in. Take like five minutes. Take five minutes and then go. And okay. I think it's really helpful. It's yeah. very, very helpful in my opinion. Like, you know, the positive is I, I think it reduces the chances of becoming pressure numb. If you have nerves, I think it sort of like 
you can get the nerves out with you know the first four bolts mm. the the downside is is if it's a mega project you're kind of like on it more yeah which you know anytime you're just sort of tying in it can be you know you can just be like oh god here i am again you know i'm gonna do this but you know if you want to get the results sometimes you have to just do it and push mm-hmm. through it so that, that that's probably what i would do the most you know if you're going to pressure numb out it you have to solve it and yeah. would you i'm curious would you do that on multiple tries in a day if you had like a long break between tries would you do I, that process before no I, I found that if i just did that the first time okay I, it would be effective and okay. then usually i would just try to to be on any route i would just try to make it so that my second try was was in a you know finite amount of time after that first try that I didn't I didn't find that I mean it does happen where you norm where you numb out on your second go or yeah. it's just you know as you know in the winter out there conditions are there can just be some really cold days that sure. or you're windy or maybe you're climbing as a group of three and you ended up belaying somebody you know two people it just it just happens right you just yeah. you know you do the best you can I guess what kind of a timeline are we talking about if you like let's mm-hmm. say your first go you do the four bolt thing you come mm-hmm. down take five minutes mm-hmm. then you climb to like maybe seventh bolt you fall there mm-hmm. how long would you take between tries probably 45 minutes to an hour on that okay. route yeah probably 45 minutes some somewhere thereabout i mean okay. probably you know not less than 30 minutes and probably not more than 50 minutes would okay. be my guess somewhere around there but i mean again you know everyone's probably a little different i mean sure. i think you know i'm 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 getting a little older, so maybe my time's a little time's a little more. If you're younger, maybe you're, you'd you'd tighten that number up a little bit. I, I don't know. What what do you? What's your strategy? There? That's really like, similar. To similar me on a lot of routes out there. Yeah, yeah, but I I find I don't know. I mean, it depends on the day. I guess if it's not terribly cold, I can get away with the second go without like a re warm up. Right. But on I feel like in conditions that I would need for that route, I would have to do some sort of a secondary warm up. Like, yeah climb another easy route again or or bring like a portable fingerboard to the crag and do some poles or something yeah and i i think that 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 is true and i have definitely found myself in that situation where all of a sudden there's a rope on the bottom of heinous or darkness and i'd say hey can i hop on here for four or five bolts or you know we do another pitch so there i i agree with you like if it's been too long sometimes you have to just do another pitch in there but i found it usually wouldn't be on the project just because motivation wise i just found it like found it sometimes hard to just continue you know you're already climbing on this single route so much Mm -hmm. that there has to be a little bit of a of a point where you, you know, you, you don't totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. One last question on Tabolt. Yeah, yeah. When you were really trying it a lot, were you mixing in other climbing or other things or were you really just singularly focused and spending all your effort on that one climb? Um, I was pretty focused on that. You know, there was a period where, again, I had quite a bit of time and there was a really group, great group of people out there and it was super fun to come out and climb and, you know, we'd climb other pitches but I was pretty focused on that route. I mean, the reality for that route is, you know, I mean, the season isn't really that long. And we we usually took a trip in the fall, either mm. to Europe or, you know, to the Red or something like that, that I found myself not really climbing on it that much in the fall. Mm-hmm. So I was usually climbing on it like, you know, I'd climb on it January through you know, early spring or something like gotcha, that. Yeah. So, but you know, that time of year, you're not really climbing in the gully that much. It's a little too early to climb in the gully. And then when it started getting a little bit warmer, I probably moved in, you know, to the gully. But I think when we, when I was really on it, I was pretty focused on it, but I would try to climb other pitches yeah. as well. You know, I try to like on the same you know, days or yeah. Days. I mean, I try to, you know, I try to still like, 
you know, go on just the variety of other, you know, pitches for fitness in there, try to like, you know, pick something a little bit more reasonable as, you know, like a little mini project or something Mm. of that sort, maybe, you know, picnic lunch or something, just, you know, different geography, but just to kind of keep fitness, you know, I wasn't climbing that much in the gym at that time because I had a lot more time to be outside. Um, So I, I was, I was trying to do other pitches, but it's always, you know, it's always hard when you're, in the winter and um it's hard to get a lot of pitches in at smith unless mm-hmm. you're you know like paul tomlinson and you're just <laughs> kind of running you know you can do like 20 pitches of 513 in a day or something like that i know that guy's amazing yeah he's i think like, it's all fueled by ben and jerry's he is amazing <laughs> he's he's amazing totally i want to respect your time how, how oh, are yeah. you doing um I'm, do you need to go let me see no i'm i'm pretty pretty good it's 210 I've got about 10 minutes. Okay. If that's cool. Because I've got a 2.30 thing. Yeah. I'm just looking here. I got... I could... You'll have to come back on the show. I could talk to you for forever. All right. There's so many things I think we could talk about. Yeah. No, it's a lot of fun. I'm happy to come back any time and chat. Awesome. Yeah. Well, one thing... And I was hoping to get more into how you and Paige Claussen actually met. Because every time I... Every time she comes out here, she she came out and did Tabolt. She came back and did Just Do It. Mm -hmm. It seems like she's really close with you and Kristen. And I've always seen you guys together. Yeah. So yeah, I'd love to... Maybe next time we can get more into how you guys connected yeah. but one question that i'd love to ask is there anything that you learned from climbing with Paige? i wish i could say a lot more rubbed off on me i mean <laughs> I, I mean just no i i i mean the reality is is i mean Paige is in just an incredible athlete in yeah. person um you know i i think like you know she's smart she's strong but I mean, it's a, it's a great question, and and I wish I could say more. Well, I can um, extend it too. Like, the, I guess the question is, you've been climbing a long time. You've been climbing at Smith a long time. Yeah. Have you learned anything from her generation or this like younger? Yeah, generation? I mean, I, I think definitely. I mean, a, a couple things come to mind. For starters, you know, I mean, every attempt Paige does on a route generally has some purpose. Mm. You know, and I and I think this is probably true about anybody that's doing really well. And to be clear, you know, Paige is one of the best women in the U.S. and arguably around. And I'm, you know, just a dude who rock climbs. So, like, we're very different. This is a very, you know, I'm a dedicated weekend warrior and she's like a true professional. So, you know, she's really purposeful in what she's trying to get out of each attempt. You know, she's not going to just tie in on a route and, like, just go up it. She's going to say, I'm going to figure everything out. I'm going to look at this section. I'm going to link that. Mm-hmm. And I would also just say that you would be really hard pressed to ever see her not try as hard as she can, mm. you know, like her ability to just like turn it on and try hard and focus a hundred percent. It is like a freaking force. Mm. And, um, and I think that's, you know, it's really inspiring. Um, can I duplicate that? Not really. Um, I mean, would I love to? Of course. But I yeah. mean, you know, I think the ta- her tactics are really smart. She's really purposeful. She doesn't just go up on things, as I mentioned. You know, I think about, like, when she was working on Just Do It, and she obviously did it. I was going back there with her. Chris and I were kind of, we were both trading off, belaying her back there. And I was climbing a little bit on the 13C or D or whatever the, the bottom pitch is, which, have you ever been on that pitch? Yeah. What, what do you think of that pitch? I think it's amazing. Yeah. For that difficulty and that angle, it's basically vertical. Yeah. I expect it to be way more heinous. Oh, really? 
Yeah. I mean, it's thin, but yeah. I actually found it to be like more, it was more fun and well, just more enjoyable, like yeah. more fun and flowy. It's a little and, like, broken up. Like you can. Yeah. There's some yeah. rests on it and it's got cool moves. And, I just thought that one boulder problem at the top is really hard. Yes. That, that, that I. The, th- the thimble that, that, move yeah. and then the like weird sloper thing. Mm-hmm. That was quite hard. Mm-hmm. For exactly. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. But I had like, I mean, I had like the most splitter beta from really? Ted. Yeah, he was like feeding me like move by move I think beta, and it was I super... have all the beta there, and I still think it's really hard. So it's I mean, the, yeah, I just totally. think it's a really hard move. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I just remember she'd been working on it not really very long. I mean, maybe it was like ten days or something, and we were back there. Forecast was pretty good for the day we were on it. Conditions were pretty good. Um, she was pretty close to doing it. I think she had she was falling off kind of in you know maybe the second or third to last hard move on the upper bit you know i mean really kind of getting there and the weather forecast was just awful Hmm. for like the next day onward you know you're talking like temperatures going from the 70s to maybe like mid 80s and like you know, extended forecast yeah exactly you know and she's pretty close and you know we're not like talking about it because I mean, what good is that going to do? Uh-huh. And, you know, she goes up and the bottom, you know, to like the, f- to the fifth bolt is quite hard. I don't know if you remember, but there's a yeah. very hard, small kind of cramp and this back flag move and this sort of stab to this little thing. And it's very hard to warm up back there. As you know, you know, yeah. there's not really a great regimen, you know, you can do a pitch in the aggro gully and then walk up there. But then by the time you get there, did it really do anything, you know? So Paige was just kind of warming up on the bottom like Mm -hmm. she was basically just going for it so she falls off at the fourth bolt and i mean you know she's kind of i mean for Paige, she's a little pissed which isn't that pissed and um (laughs) she comes down and she's just like she's like it's gonna get hot and and obviously part of it was fueled by she kind of almost did it two days previous and now you know prior now she's like falling at the fourth bolt or she's falling off at the fourth bolt and she's like it's gonna get hot I need to do this thing right now. Hmm. And I'm just thinking to myself, I don't say anything, but I'm just like, you know, like if I said that to myself on a project, I mean, if, I mean, how, <laughs> would you be able to say that to yourself on a project? I maybe have work? one time that I can think of in my climbing career where that worked. Okay. I, I've said that a okay. number of times, okay. but it doesn't work normally. Because it's, <laughs> and, and why, and why would that be? I don't know. It's just a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's a lot yourself. of yeah, it's sure, just a yeah. Tremendous amount of pressure to put on yourself. Yeah, but like, you know, again, that's where Paige is just a complete athlete mind it thrives on and, that. And she just was like, she like pulled the cord and sent the route. Oh, that's that try. awesome. You know, I mean, she just pulled the cord and sent the route. Um, I mean, another thing I've learned with her from her is bring good snacks. Paige is like, <laughs> Paige is uh-huh. a champion snacker. Okay. Um, I mean, she always has some really high quality snack thing that she's like working on. You know, she eats good food. Do you and, have like uh, an, a prime example? I mean, she's, you know, she's snack? still like pull out a bag of like Trader Joe's mangoes that are really good mm. or she'll have a... I don't know. She just always has, she always has good food to eat. Yeah. Um, that she's pretty, that she's pretty fired up on and she usually shares. Do you have so a favorite cool. snack that you bring to the crag now? Do I? No, I, I don't. I mean, I need to be, I need to be better at it. Uh-huh. Paige is a pretty good snacker. I mean, she, okay. she's, you know, she, she likes to eat good food and she's pretty, um, you know, she's pretty fun about it. No, she's a lot of fun. I mean, she's like, I mean, maybe mangoes are the secret. Maybe mangoes are the secret secret. I mean, she's a, I mean, she's a really special individual for a lot of reasons. I mean, you know, 
she's amazing. Her husband's amazing as well. But did she change her last name? She did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. She's not Paige Klassen anymore. No. Right. Yeah. Okay. So um, the fun thing about climbing with any really good partner is is, is that. You know, and at least this is for me. I don't know if you can relate to this. Is you know, you want them to be kind of fired up, but you don't want them to be too fired up. You know, there's sort of that perfect level of like being motivated, but not being just sort of like you know irrational exuberance. Mm. And um, and to me, that's always what you know is like right in a partnership is that it's you know, and, and she can be mildly sarcastic, which I can relate to, which yeah. is which is fun. Yeah. Um. So no, I mean, you know, she's an incredible individual, and we're always lucky when she comes and hangs out with us. Awesome. Is there any uh, new habit or belief that you have developed in the last in in recent history that's uh, that's been significant for you that's improved your life? I think with you know recent health problems in the last few years is you know don't don't take your health for granted. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I would definitely suggest if you're healthy, you know, do what you can when you're healthy and really appreciate that because at least for me and I'm guessing for you and most of our peer group, I just think that it's the absolute best thing. You know, if you're healthy, you're injury free, that is, you know, that is the absolute best thing and the most important thing. And, you know, at this point, you know, we, my wife and I, we have our aging dog and we're really happy to hang out with her. I'm super happy to rock climb. I have to um, interrupt for one second. So right before this, I was just looking at Instagram. Yeah. I, I was looking at Facebook. You're not on Facebook? No, I'm not. I'm okay. not on Facebook. But I found you on Instagram and I think one of your most recent posts, and, I, and I'll share it in the show notes, but it was a post of your dog mm-hmm. who just turned 15, Yeah. which would make your dog 105. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, there's new evidence. What's your too, dog's name? There's new evidence too that, um, you know, it's not... A direct multiplier by seven it's more sort of like there's some other factors okay. so you could be aging her a little bit okay just to be clear yeah no she is she is 15 and um her name is casbah she's an australian Kasbah. shepherd and uh no she you know we don't have kids so she's kind of our kid hmm. and uh you know I, I at 15 man like i don't know how long she'll be around yeah um so you know every day i wake up you know i go up she's usually in bed upstairs and you know kind of in our living room and I check on her and I'm like, yeah, she's alive. Like we get another day <laughs> oh, man, and cool. uh, maybe she says the same thing about me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, you know, it's, I, I really appreciate, um, I really appreciate her a lot. I appreciate my friends a lot. I'm just with health issues. I appreciate my health a lot. Mm. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of that is for me, that's a, you know, a conscious decision is, you know, trying to hopefully treat my friends well. And the people around me that, you know, that I care about, that's, that's important to me. And probably I think as rock climbers, sometimes we, you know, when you bump into somebody you haven't seen a while and you go, how are you? And they start to tell you about, you know, their project. That's generally not what I meant. You know, I meant like, <laughs> how are you doing yeah. or what's going on? So, yeah. um, I think there is life beyond rock climbing. And, um, you know, I think again, I, try to appreciate my friends and friendships and, and again, health and their health and my health as well. well. I don't get to spend as much time with you as I would like to, but from my perspective, I see you doing a really good job. Of well, that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Likewise. And, uh, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the comment. So thank you. Yeah. Thank Anything you. you're especially grateful for lately? Again, Anything I, else, I guess, I, in addition to those things or, um, I, you know, no, again, I, I think it, it comes down to health, you know, mm. it comes down to health. I mean, it, it really, it really does. Um, be, being healthy, you know, being 
in central Oregon is a really, is a great place to be. You still love um, it here? Yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know, we, I do, we love it here. I think you start to realize as you get a little older, you know, I'm 49, I'll be 50 in, I don't know, eight months or something like that. We're not here forever. You know, this is, this is kind of it. Um, and you know, and, and things, things can change. Health can change for, for anybody and, you know, really try to take advantage of where you are and enjoy, enjoy the day. I'm not always good at doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to not, to not be in that place. It's easy to, you know, to think about things that don't really matter, but generally that would be my, my thought. Cool. How about something that you're excited about that's um, coming up in the near future? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely, you know, I'm excited to, to be a lot healthier this year and Uh not be in pain. I'm excited to try to get stronger and see how much fitness I can get back. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that I can still climb at a reasonable level into, into my fifties. You know, I'd like to spend some more time in the mountains. Indeed. I, you know, I always like being in the mountains. Yeah. We Uh, didn't get to that at all. And you'll have to come back because, you know, I, I had you on my list right away as far as people I yeah, thanks. wanted great. to talk to, but I also interviewed Chris Wright. And He's he great. Was, I asked him like, who should I interview? And he, yeah. you know, you were at the top of his oh, list. Oh, that's cool. But he had some, uh, he had some questions. He, you know, he mentioned that you'd done an expedition with Steve House to Makalu. Yeah. Is that right? Uh-huh. And, yeah. And he mentioned ice climbing with Steve Swenson. Yeah. Yeah. You have to come back. Yeah. I have like a little that. dabbler alpinist in me. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a little dabbler alpinist in me. It's a bad still, sport to be. You still some mountains? And... Um, I'd like to, I like being in the mountains. Uh, I'd like to do some more stuff. I just, uh, it's complicated because it's time consuming mm. and it can be not very productive. And, um, you know, I mean, the great thing about sport climbing and rock climbing, generally speaking, although I just, you know, basically spent 45 minutes talking to the contrary of the statement is, you know, if you pick a project and you try really hard and you work at it, you probably will do it. Yeah. And, um, and, and the nothing thing, else you get to climb a lot. You get to climb a lot. <laughs> and the thing with, you know, climbing on in the mountains is, you know, you can do all that and then you can hang out for months and pretty mm. much do nothing but, you know, yeah. eat and, um, which, you know, I like eating. I don't have a problem with that. So. Wait for weather. And wait for weather. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, Ian, thank you so much for... Thanks for having me, Stephen. This was really fun. We could talk for a while. It's, I we'll know. have to do it again. It's Where really can people fun. find you? Find me. Yeah. Um, can they? <laughs> what do you mean, find You're me? You're on Instagram. I'm on Instagram. I don't really post much on Instagram. You know, I have kind of a... A little bit of an issue with the social media thing. That's probably talk for another time. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't. I haven't posted anything in probably a year. I post about one or two posts a year. I used to kind of be on Facebook a long time ago. But the thing is, is you know, when like the people you love start to annoy you, that's when you realize you have to get off those <laughs> platforms. And that was essentially <laughs> what happened. What happened to me on Facebook and 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 a little bit on Instagram too. And I just, I don't know. I just, I think it's, you know. If a tree falls in the forest, you know, does sort of, I'll, I'll end with that. <laughs> so I, I moved here. I'll wrap up. I, I moved here in 2013. I was expecting a little bit of like an old salty scene here at Smith. I right. didn't know anything about it. And um, I was so pleasantly surprised to move here and I felt so warmly welcomed. You and Kristen were a huge part of that. Well, that's kind. I spent a lot of time at the depot. I worked four tens and went out Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Smith for my first, you know, couple of years here. And I think I went to the depot after climbing like every single time. And uh, that's always saw you there, and and it was just uh, a really wonderful way to integrate into this community. Well, so. we're 
you know, likewise, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah. Um, I'm not always the best version of me. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I was a decent version of myself and, um, yeah, and thanks for supporting, you know, Kristen's business. It's, you know, it's great people, customers like you and friends that allowed us to, to do that and be successful. So, I mean, we, you know, we appreciate everyone that allowed us to do that. So thank you. Awesome. Right on. Well, thanks so much for your time, yeah. Ian. Right on. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Cheers. Bye. Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13 Sing one, one, two, three, four Cause, cause, cause No one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it Cause no one can do it like we do it Like we do it, like we do it